You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since thing is guys it is recording so uh i know you guys can't hear anything but uh i'll try to get that figured out after we get done with the intro here uh you guys can turn back up by the way too uh <laughs> here we are <laughs> we all right so welcome to the ggtmc episode 284 getting so close to the wonderful 300 sparta and Which we will not be covering a Zack Snyder film on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, this week we got a good friend of the show, Scott from Maryville Clickers on with us. Scott, you there? Samuel Devil, feel like I haven't seen you in ages. Yeah. <laughs> Nitty. Old son of a bitch. <laughs> How yeah. are you guys? Doing great, man. How are you? Doing great. I drank so much last <laughs> night. <laughs> I like the look of those clouds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Will and I are nude and uh, ready to swim this morning. <laughs> That's right. Woo, take that morning dip. Oh, you're great at this, kid. Uh, great form. You got great form. Um, yeah, you'll hear a lot of that kind of stuff. Okay, so this week we are doing our Diabolic DVD show. Um, we are covering, uh, this is Will's turn to program, so we are covering uh, Franco Prosperi's, not the, not the, this is another Franco Prosperi, we figured that out by now, uh, his film Meet Him and Die, a little Eurocrime film neither one of us had seen, I'm going to assume Scott had never seen it either. Um, Sir? And uh, we are also covering The Swimmer, The Swimmer, from 1968, directed by Frank Perry. A little bit of help from one Sidney Pollack, possibly, more than likely, and surely after I watched the documentary. <laughs> so uh, that is what we are doing. Uh, like I said, it's great to have Scott on. Uh, I have to say, just to get this out of the way right now. That I I'd heard of the swimmer before, but I totally forgot about it. But uh, Scott show, Maryville Clickers, they covered it a while back, and uh, three years ago. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it put it back on the radar for me, and. Uh, 
it's kind of worked out. It kind of worked out pretty great. We were kind of just chatting with him and stuff, and uh, so we thought we'd bring him on to talk about it and uh, a little meet him and that. It's always good to have uh, Scott on, but uh, it doesn't have to be a special occasion like that. But it is great as long as people are willing to get up at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Oh, I look terrible anyway, even if I get sleep. So it really doesn't matter. <laughs> we're all at that age now, having kids that were perpetually puffy-eyed. Oh, God, yes. You can tell someone's a parent when you look at them. Oh, yeah. Their eyes are puffy all the time. Yep. yep. Even when I get seven hours, I'm like, fuck, I still look like I got three hours. <laughs> I know. I know. That's why I, that's why I always tell myself, you know, four hours, seven hours, eight hours, two hours. What difference does it make? I still feel that's the right. same either way. <laughs> it's eight hours, one cup, two hours, three cups. And then three guys, one cup on the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Our aim better be true. All right. So, we, as always, we uh, we defer to our guest. Uh, Scott, you've been watching anything lately? Uh, sure. I'll try to whip through these quickly. Uh, watch The Wolf of Wall Street for the first time earlier this week. Mm. And I, have you guys seen it? Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. Like, I, I liked it quite a bit. I really thought, like, Leo was just amazing. Yes. You know, he was a real standout. He, he from everything. His physical acting was incredible. There, there are a couple scenes where he just absolutely goes for it. Yeah, he really does. But like like our eyes, I think the film was a bit puffy in places. Yeah. Like they really, I really felt the three-hour running time. I don't know. The older I get, the more I'm feeling running time. So I just I just kind of think it spun its wheels in some spots. Yeah. Looks good. Some great performances, especially Leo. So it was entertaining. The only part I really didn't care for in the film was the boat scene, which I thought I, it was a bit much for me. Uh, which one? <laughs> the boat scene where they were going to capsize and yeah, the that's... helicopter, and it's just a little too much. Oh yeah, yeah. And I call bullshit on that. <laughs> I do like I have been on the Mediterranean. I have been on ex- really cheap Greek ferries and such, and I don't know if they really get fifty foot waves in the Mediterranean. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Know. Yeah, that was a bit over the top. Um, I, are you guys a fan of the Veronica Mars TV show? Never seen it. Never seen it. Yeah, Kat and I were really big fans, and you know this this movie got one of the those initial Kickstarter films. Um, so we were keen to see it. It's it got a theatrical release. I don't know how it did, but it also had a simultaneous uh, you know video on demand kind of release. So it was a really fun show. Maybe about ten years ago, it was on you know hip teen detective stuff. Um, works mm-hmm. good as a TV show. And this movie basically felt like a uh, an above average version of the TV show. You know, I think fans of the show would dig it, but I'm not sure there's much there for anyone else. It's a real sort of niche market with it. Wow! Um, watched the Wolfman last night with my kids. The 41 Wolfman. Nice, nice. You were in a wolfy mood this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a movie I'd see. The Wolfman of Wall Street. <laughs> yeah, that'd be amazing. I'm, Asylum might do that, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. So you know, once you can, once you can get your head around the fact that Claude Rains is Lon Chaney Jr.'s dad, uh, <laughs> it's actually a pretty enjoyable film. And stop questioning why everyone and no one in England seems to have English accents except <laughs> Claude Rains. Yeah. Um, it's it's a fun film. Uh, I think my kids dug it quite a bit. It's only about seventy minutes, and we covered it on our show a couple years ago. And the more I watch it, the more it becomes one of my favorite of the Universal uh, monster movies. Yeah. For sheer entertainment. It is my favorite of the Universal monster movies. 
it's, it's really, really good. You know, the set designs, the, I mean, the fog budget was just through the roof. Yeah, yeah. Lucio Fulci definitely saw the Wolfman. Yes. So, yeah, I, I still really like it. You know, looking at my list right here, it's just been a week of trash. That's okay. You got to have that sometime. We also watch Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Yeah. <laughs> I can describe this one as a, you know, future guilty pleasure Hall of Famer. Yeah. This yeah. movie is just trash. I, have you seen it? No, no. Jeremy Renner joint? Uh, you know what? I have not. I love Gemma Arterton. Yeah, and What's that? She is a lot of fun in it. Well, that's the thing. You guys, I know you were pleasantly surprised. I think you said it has no business being as fun as it is. or yep. So I, that kind of put it on the radar. Because I heard a few people say that it was, it was all right. I mean, it, it's, it's 90 minutes of just fun trash. It is ultra gory in spots. I might have to watch it with the wife. Yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. Kat and I had a lot of fun watching it. But initially, we thought to ourselves, well, this, you know, this might be appropriate for the kids. You know, we'll just check it out. <laughs> like, hey, I hope this thing got an R. It is so gory. Yeah, I think it was R-rated, actually, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I know uh, Steve, uh, Nick, he, he's a big, he was a big fan of it. It was on his top 30. So Nice. Yeah. It, 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 it's fun. I mean, it's, it's stupid. Um, but speaking of stupid, that's not quite as fun. Last night, God, we're terrible people. We watched The Roommate with Minka Kelly and one of the girls from Gossip Girl. You know this one? It's like a, a single white female ripoff from a couple of years back. Oh, I have heard of it, yeah. My wife watched it, I think. We like bad movies. Uh, I think Tad liked this one a lot more than I did. I thought it was pretty should have it was wasn't over the top enough. Um, two two college roommates, one starts to essentially stalk the other one. Um, it just it just didn't go for it enough. It held back way too much. Uh, is Minka Kelly the good girl? She is the good girl. I've never seen her in anything other than photos, but she's she's quite um, she's quite lovely. She she looks like she's uh, she's very pretty. Yeah, you know, I, I, I like her a lot. Kat was talking a lot about how gorgeous she is, too. She used to be on Friday Night Lights, so we used to watch that. She's a, she actually is a decent actress, mm-hmm. uh, but it's tough to buy. I think she's like 32. Tough to buy her as a college freshman. Oh, yeah. It's, it suffers from what I like to call 90210 syndrome a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then just getting started on the right stuff, which we're covering on our show next. Uh, nice. Get out over a couple nights. Nice. The You're right. a big fan of that one, right? I really am. Uh, I haven't I see seen it, it in a while. Uh, it, uh, I know you guys were talking about Philip Kaufman recently on your show, and he is really a director I admire a lot because he can he dips his toes in lots of different genres, and uh, he's a terrific writer. So it's uh, it'll be a good one to discuss. I hope um, it's a big movie. Tough to get your head around. You know when you when you want to talk about a movie. Um, but you just can't get your brain working to make sense of it. I'm afraid that'll happen, but we'll see. Right, right. That bar looks great on blue. Nice. Yeah, that's uh, that's really about it. But I want to say, you know, I listen to your guys' show way too much. I was out for a jog yesterday morning, beautiful sunny morning, listening to the your, your chat about Terminal Island with Andy. Mm-hmm. Well, I was running along the lake, uh, right along near Palais Royale towards the exhibition. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, Jogging along, and I'm looking at the old Ontario place, which is the thing we have that's out of business now, just wondering, you know, I should be thinking about uh, this beautiful day, God's great creation. All I'm thinking is, why don't they set a prison movie at Ontario place? Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Totally. (laughs) 
absolutely warped my mind. So I, I've had uh, actually several times in my life where I've been somewhere and I've been like, man, this would be a great place for a prison movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, of course, nothing recently, but I mean, I, I, I've been to like a lot of abandoned, uh, you know, buildings and stuff like that. I'm kind of into that stuff. I like looking at those kind of things, and I always think to myself, man, this will make a great uh, prison film or post-apocalyptic film. <laughs> Oh, all right. Decline when you start locations scouting for post-apocalyptic. Yeah. All right. Uh, Large William. All right. What have you been watching lately? Uh, I didn't get in a ton of stuff, but I got in uh, some quality. I got uh, the first one I did was The Wife's Choice on Netflix Instant Jack Reacher. Oh, yeah. Jack. Jack. Um <laughs> I just, at this point, I can't. I'd love to talk more about it, but we're pinched for time. It's Easter Sunday. Uh, so we're all going to have egg hunts up in, up in our faces pretty soon. Yeah, and then after uh, the kids go to sleep, a different type of egg hunt. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I, just, uh, I just can't look past how insane and vain Tom Cruise is at this point in his career, and I feel like he always brings his own wardrobe to set. Yeah, that, and he always has to be the coolest, toughest, smartest guy in the room. Which it's like, oh, enough, Tommy, enough. Yeah. Well, the Jack Reacher character is always the coolest, smartest, toughest guy in the room. But I agree with you on the wardrobe piece because Jack Reacher usually wears like khakis and a plain shirt because he never wants to be seen. He wants to fit in everywhere. So that part I totally agree with him with. But yeah, yeah, you oh, can man. tell the Jack Reacher character. You know, he saw that character and he saw potential. I, I guess they they're going to make a franchise out of it because he, uh, I think he's making another one. Yeah, it's it's I I can't do him anymore. And I liked a lot of his stuff in the eighties. I really did. And you know, I never thought he was a great actor. But as far as um, he's trying to hang on to his youth, there, man. He totally is. I feel like he at the time I liked him and. He wasn't a great actor, but he was a good actor, and he picked some interesting stuff, you know. Um, but so it's a shame. But I just yeah, I can't look past his lunacy and vanity. Um, then I rewatched a favorite I hadn't seen since probably high school, uh, which is Ralph Bakshi's Wizards, which uh, which is a good one. It holds up relatively well. I think it 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 um, plays with a lot of genre expectations in that wizards have like Brooklyn accents and. Um, <laughs> You know, there's just a lot of cool stuff going on, and yeah, it's it actually very much reminds me of my my youth, um, absolutely. So it was a good one to, to revisit at this point. My kids are still probably ten years from from seeing a lot of his stuff, but uh, that's the way it goes. Um, then I did Hapkido, which is an uh, an Angela Mao, Sammo Hung, Carter Wong joint. Yeah. This one's a lot of fun. Um, it's got, you know, the evil, of course, the evil Japanese black bear karate school is disrespecting the, uh, there's not a whole lot of Hapkido, but it's uh, <laughs> it's fun to see some of a, you know, a trifecta like that. And then there's also, I can't remember his name. He's a pretty legendary Korean martial artist. He played the heel in a lot of Shaw Brothers films. Um, but it, it's a fun one, you know. Um, you see Carter Wong so young, is crazy, but... Um, yeah, that's not bad. Next up, I watched one that totally made me think of Scott, and I was it was kind of serendipity that I covered it on a week when I could mention it to him because I think he'd really dig it, and I can get it his way if, and your way too, Sammy. Uh, if uh, it's not accessible, it's called Carnival of Illusions uh, or Oshimer. Uh, yeah, uh, which also I think is called Devil and Angel or Devil and the Angel. Let me see, Devil and the Angel. It's directed by Pierre Chanel. Um, it's got Eric von Stroheim in it. 
and uh, this is a this is a fantastic little film. It's a little bit noiry, a little bit kind of um, fairy tale. It's uh, I have to say that I feel like uh, Jodorowsky would have seen this before he made Santa Sangre. Um, not that it's it's you know a shot for shot remake or anything like that, but fairy tale element. The fact that um, von well von Stroheim's character he's he's got a disfigured face in this and. Uh, this blind circus performer falls in love with him and gets away from the sort of the evil knife thrower. Well, not evil, but uh, certainly not a kind knife thrower. And there's some, uh, there's a side plot with some forgery going on. And I, I quite liked it. I, I don't know if either of you have seen any work by Pierre Chanel. I have not. And this one was an, a really nice little gem. I don't know if I have either. Maybe I saw Chanel number five, but I don't know if I've seen any uh, Pierre <laughs> Chanel. Is that, is that from like the forties or something? Yeah, it's uh, nineteen forty-six, I believe. Yeah, I'd have to look into his film Elgrafier. Well, I can uh, I can get it to you guys. Uh, so if you you know later on if you want it, let me know. Oh, man, Eric von Stroheim was born in eighteen eighty-five. Yeah, Good Lord, he was not a young pup. <laughs> no, he was not. But yeah, it was a cool little film. Um, I did Rio two at the theater with the kids. I hated it. <laughs> awful the characters are all atrocious um the first one was average at best for me but i liked the setting i liked the theme song i'm glad you know i like seeing animated films set outside of america and yeah. in canada and stuff well no, I'm, I'm being diplomatic outside of america but i would say the same thing about canada i like to see stuff set globally because i think it at least starts to open kids eyes to the world as opposed to the bubble that they live in um but, uh, yeah, it just really, really tired. It very much uh, falls into that trap of of more, more, more with um, with, uh, brr, 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 with sequels. Andy Garcia's kind of fun playing the father of very much a Meet the Fokker setup. He's playing the De Niro dad. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't get past Jesse Eisenberg as, like, the Woody Allen bird. It just, I don't know. It, not very good other than the setting. Um, everything else was kind of flat. But, you know, it wasn't about me. It was about my kids, and, and they liked it, and we had fun. It was in 3D, so it was a good time. Um, and then finally, I finished the week with one called Cheap Thrills, which a lot of people in our community have been talking about, and Tim Merrill reps for it, and Shempy reps for it. It's uh, It was better than I anticipated. I thought it was quite good. Uh, First-time filmmaker Cats has done a good job with this, and he'll be one that I watch going forward. Um, basically, two friends, uh, played by Pat Healy and uh, Ethan Embry, I think it is, from Empire Records and a few other things, uh, they kind of play two blue-collar friends who end up um, getting into increasingly more intense and depraved situations for money. Yeah. And it's also got Sarah Paxton and uh, Champ Kind of Anchorman fame. Can I give his name? David David Kochner, maybe? I yeah. can't think of Kochner, yeah. It's Kochner. Kochner. Anyway, he, all four of those leads are fantastic in the film. It's not quite played for as many laughs as something like Very Bad Things. There are a few moments of jet black humor, but it, it's a solid little genre film. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the social commentary doesn't bang you over the head and isn't overly self-satisfied with, with what it's saying. It, it kind of sticks more to being a genre film than a commentary piece. So Nice. Yeah, it's, it's you know, solid seven for me. Good news, good news. I was a little worried it might be a little too over the top with the comedy. 
Me too, and that poster is just dreadful. Oh, the poster is bad. <laughs> oh, man, I knew I'd seen Von Stroheim in something. He was the butler in uh, Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, yeah you've, seen, you've probably seen him in some other stuff, too. The other things, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's in, he wasn't exactly uh, behind the scenes. He wasn't exactly always a nice man. Wasn't he in uh, Wasn't he in Stalag Seventeen? I believe he was. Like he is the Colonel Cook Stalag Seventeen. Yeah, I think he I think he played a lot of those uh, those German general characters. It seems Int- like intense, serious German men. <laughs> yeah, he's an intense guy in real life too. So. Ooh, he was in one called Monster and Tiger Man. <laughs> yeah. Check that out. It sounds like. Uh, Sounds like the film the GGTMC is actually shooting and producing right now. That's that's right. Well, he plays against type in this one too, Professor Franz Mueller. So Franz, I often wish my name was Franz. <laughs> uh, okay, so I got a couple weeks of watching, but I don't have a whole lot. Uh, I watched Riddick, which uh, I'm a fan of the Riddick character, uh, so I, I I quite enjoy that uh, Vin Diesel character, and. Uh, uh, the movie's about as good as the other Riddick films. It's not, you know, barn burner, but it's it's passable. It's a little over CGI'd, but uh, quite good. I think there's no dialogue for like the first uh, 20. Well, no, there's dialogue. There's some overtalk, some kind of like narration stuff. But um, this him and some computer animated dogs and animals and stuff, and it's it's kind of kind of interesting stuff. It's a very it's a very some people call it misogynistic. I, I don't know if it's misogynistic as much as it's just very macho. It's a very macho movie. Very, very dude-oriented. That one I think you should probably watch with the the wives or anything like that, unless they're, like, hot for the Vin Diesel or something, because it's a little over-macho in spots. Almost to the point of it. Hot for the Vin Diesel. Yeah. Almost a little uh, embarrassing in spots <laughs> to be watching, you know. So, But I guess you could call that misogynistic and stuff. But it is definitely, like, you know. 13 14 year old you know wet dream boy stuff some sometimes and uh well very macho uh so it's, it's funny that that's the vin, it's very ironic even that you like that vin diesel and that's really the only stuff i don't like of vin diesel <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well i enjoy the i enjoy the world that him and Tui have created with riddick um this kind of uh what i like about the riddick character is he has no morals so he's he's awful to everybody and uh, there's not a whole lot of that going on in cinema anymore. No. Uh, he's kind of like an anti-hero that just doesn't give a shit about anything. And uh, that's what I like about it is the morals are gone. Uh, they they try to – although I do have to say in the Chronicles of Riddick, the second film and the third film, they do try to give him a little bit of morality. Even in Pitch Black, they gave him a little bit. But, and yeah, I wish – I've ever seen. Yeah. And I wish, I wish they wouldn't give him any. I mean, I wish he was – you know, like the title of the first film, I wish he was Pitch Black, but – um, uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it, it is interesting though. I mean, he's, he, he definitely has charisma. There's one thing I always say about Vin Diesel is I don't say I'm one of these people who don't really care for his voice. I, think I love it. I kind of, it kind of bothers me. It, it always sounds like he's like got a speech impediment for me. It always sounds like he's got the thick tongue. He's got the Linda thick tongue from Rolling <laughs> Thunder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. From <laughs> and, Rolling Thunder there. Uh, but, uh, I think he has a look, and I and I like his look, and it's uh it's very macho, uh you know he's a he's a big fan of the sleeveless shirt, Vin Diesel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he doesn't like them sleeves, yo. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh yeah, so you know I, I always like I always thought he has a natural charisma on screen stuff, but uh, 
And in the Riddick character, I think he tries to take his voice even a lower octave than oh. he does any other characters. And he's like, really? Honest. You know, they put me on this planet. And I'm like, okay, calm down there, buddy. <laughs> Iron Giant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Iron Giant. Yeah, Iron Giant is always the one I really remember him from when it comes to his voice. I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I, I like Vin Diesel. I, I, I mean, I don't think he's a barn burner as far as an actor, but I think he's... He's likable enough, and he picks interesting stuff. And even though I, know, I haven't watched the Fast films, except for the first, I think, two or three, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I think he he knows where his, uh, you know, he knows where his uh, goose is cooked, so to speak. I don't know, I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. Never mind. Anyway, um, I watched Milius, the documentary on John Milius. Uh, of course, you know, I'm a big Milius fan, so there's not a whole lot in here that I didn't already know. Uh, except that I'd, I'd forgotten that he had had a, well, I can't talk about that. Well, maybe I could, but I don't want to, uh, in case people haven't seen it and don't know what he's up to nowadays. So I'll let people check it out and stuff. It's on Netflix instant watch in the States. Um, worth a watch for those of you who don't know, John Milius was involved in pretty much every big film you can think of from about a macho endeavor (laughs) from the seventies onward. Yeah. From the seventies into the mid eighties. Uh, what I did like is that they kind of got into the fact that Red Dawn kind of blackballed him in Hollywood in a lot of ways. And that uh, he had a hard time really kind of, he's been kind of like a script doctor ever since. He's really kind of had a hard time really getting stuff going since Red Dawn. It's interesting because, you know, the the Hollywood, of course, they, they exploited Red Dawn for all it's worth. But then it's like, you know, certain political parties took over in that town and it's like he uh, he wasn't welcome. Very interesting. Um uh, sidetrack. I, I, I mean, because I thought after Red Dawn, he still had like a lot of work and stuff. But I, I guess if you look at his filmography, I mean, he does have stuff. But it's, I know he wanted to direct more films, and he hasn't been able to. So he's only directed uh, last one. Like was Farewell to the King the last one, or uh, the last big one? I think that was the last big one. Yeah, I think that was the last big one he directed, and uh, that was a bit of a flop. Even though, I mean, I like it. Um, let me look. I'm just going to look real quick and see what else he did toward the end there. After Red Dawn, but uh, yeah, no, it's 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 good, it's good. Uh, I know he wrote for, he's been writing for video games and stuff. He he did Red Dawn, then he did a episode of Twilight Zone, Farewell to the King. Oh, he did Flight of the Intruder. That was the last actual film he did. Uh, and then he did uh, two TV movies, Motorcycle Gang and Rough Riders. And '97 uh, was the last time he uh, he directed a film. Rough Riders got a great cast: Tom Berger, Sam Elliott, Gary Busey, and Teddy Roosevelt. Story. Yeah, that's the Teddy Roosevelt story. Yeah. George Hamilton, Arlie Army. He's got a great cast to it. I've never seen that Rough Riders TV movie, but uh, Tom Berenger does look very much like Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> with a great, you know, one of those safari hats with the one side pinned to the top of it. <laughs> Fucking, I love those. <laughs> I could never pull that off. But yeah, it, 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 Red Dawn, I mean, really, in a lot of ways, kind of just blackballed him. And it, it, I didn't know that. I didn't really know that. I thought maybe, you know, at the time, it was a, it was a big, pretty big hit, I thought. Some people, I know other countries really fucking hated it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, big time. I know England and countries like that really blasted his ass for it. Like, when I was a kid, it would have been one of those movies we all saw. And, oh, well, yeah. And I watched it again a few years ago, and it's pretty terrible. Oh, yeah, no, it's definitely a movie of its time. And not only that, it's definitely a movie with, like, one point of view. Yeah. Um, and you kind of have not to, nuanced at all. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, and you have to look at it that way. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I've seen scenes. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I've seen scenes from it, and uh, yeah, I'm always reminded that it's, 
it's uh you know as i've often said i love john milius but i don't always agree with the way he thinks even though i think yeah some of the things he says i think he just i think he just loves to say it to get a rise out of people so i watched uh the pirate fairy uh this is a disney uh, dvd release oh yeah 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 my son's my son really loves the world of the tinkerbell uh, not so much Tinkerbell herself. She he just loves the 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 fairy world that Disney's created. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen any of these uh, these uh, fairy films like uh, Se- no. Secret of the Wings. I know Scott's kids are a little older, and, and yeah, we went, through a, we went through a fairy phase. Yeah, yeah, don't we all? Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the. Uh, this is a this is a gorgeous film. I mean, this film looks great on uh, uh, in high def. I mean, it's is it an instant. Uh, no, I rented it. Uh, my son saw a preview for it, and he really wanted to watch it, so I rented it through uh, PlayStation, and uh, we watched it streaming, and it was fucking gorgeous, even on streaming. And so we we, uh, we it's actually in the other room as an Easter basket present. He's going to have it this morning on Blu-ray, so I'm looking forward to checking it out again. It's only seventy minutes long, and and stuff nice. but it's a lot better than a lot of straight to dvd fare i find i mean it's not it's a very standard kids movie it's not going to you know set the world on fire it's very much good guy versus bad guys and pirates and fairies and things like that but it is gorgeous to look at i have to say i mean even my wife who doesn't really normally say something she looked up a couple times she's like wow this movie is beautiful <laughs> so uh yeah some really nice straight to dvd animation got to say I mean, it's on par with some of the uh, theatrical released animation. I mean, I usually don't uh, usually think the. I always feel like they kind of cheapen it a little bit with the straight to DVD stuff, you know. But not in this case. Nice. Uh, I also watched the uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, I agree with Scott, and, and I don't know if you said so the same as well. I mean, I really like the film, but it does feel like a film where Martin Scorsese. I mean, it's three hours long, and I know it was longer than that when he gave his uh, original cut in. I think it was closer to four hours. Uh, it does feel like uh, Scorsese loved the characters so much and the f- comedy that he had a hard time cutting stuff out. And uh, I, I enjoy that stuff. I, I don't know if it makes it necessarily a better film. I think uh, a lot of it could have been cut. Some of it could have been cut. The boat scene you all were talking about, yeah, that. And uh, there was, there was have a you, have you book. What's that? Have you read the you book? Read? No, I've never read the book. And checking that out to see what they what they chose to focus on. Yeah, but the the uh, I, I mean I like quite a bit of it, and and even the stuff I think could have been cut out, I still enjoyed the uh, the ridiculousness of it, and like as little short pieces or as like deleted scenes, I would have loved to watch. I mean it's it's a very funny film. Uh, I laughed often. Uh, it's ridiculous and disturbing, but at the same time, it's that kind of dark humor that Scorsese. Has always had in his career uh, with the the mob guys, with the Goodfellas, you know those guys that all sit around and and laugh and joke and stuff. And there's a lot of great scenes of that kind of camaraderie and ugliness. The old bluster, yeah, the misogynistic uh, kind of yeah, the, the bluster. That's a good word. And uh, they really nailed the uh, <laughs> the fashion. There, that oh, one yeah. that one fucking like three colored uh, flannel blue jean denim shirt that Jonah Hill's wearing. <laughs> I fucking hated those shirts. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> terrible and uh yeah no you know it's not often i get to see a prosthetic cock hanging off of jonah hill so that's that's a new that's a new one for me um but no it's it's uh, at least i think it was a prosthetic if not i understand why he's so popular in hollywood um the uh i I mean i had fun with the film i did i like the lemon party i like the uh well the lemon party (laughs) lemon time (laughs) 
Oh, uh, don't don't Google that. Uh, not. <laughs> um, I liked. Uh, I mean, I liked a lot of it. I really did. Um, but uh, I do feel like it does hinder itself with its runtime. It does. But you I, know, I, I I disagree I, on the runtime for what it's worth. I feel like it's for his age too. For him to make a film that felt as breathless and energetic at that age, I was pretty impressed. Well, what here's what I will say. Scorsese, unlike any other filmmaker of his age and and of that era, the seventies filmmakers, I, he still has more he, more balls. More, uh, I mean, he just, I mean, he really goes for it in this film, and uh, I really appreciated that. I mean, don't get me wrong; it would have been on my top thirty. Nice, nice. It would have been on my top thirty. I mean, I really love the film, but I do feel like if there's anything that hinders it, it is there are some scenes that I found a little tedious. At sure. times, at times, but uh, one of them was not the cocaine in the straw with the hooker. That was John very... Rosenthal was good in the film. Is that his name, John Rosenthal? Oh, are you talking about Baron Barendal? Barendal, the John uh, Baron Barenthal or Barendal, the uh, guy with that's, the that's uh... the raid too. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> You're talking about the guy with the uh, mustache and the the saw uh, the uh, flavor. John Barenthal. Yeah. John Barenthal. Yeah, yeah. Looks like a young De Niro. Yeah, he was good. In that. Plays the De Niro son in Grudge Match. Yep. I, I just find maybe it's a personal thing because I, I work in the world of securities law. I was really more interested in finding out what they actually started to nail them on. Yeah. Right, yeah. They kind yeah. of just skirted over that, that back end stuff because it's really all about the debauchery, all the back end when it was time to pay the piper. They just, yeah, really skirted over that. Yeah, and you get, you get uh, uh, remnants of like uh, that uh, cocaine scene in Goodfellas, you know, the kind of chaos. Of of that, you get remnants. But again, that's Scorsese's thing, and that's what he does. And he's he's really good, I think, at showing excess and uh, uh, immorality in his characters, and uh, and he has fun with it. You know, he doesn't uh, he doesn't judge them. He just he just throws it out there, and <laughs> and uh, I think he gets a real kick out of it. And he really uh, it is interesting, and a filmmaker of his age uh, really going for it because I mean, this film does go for it. It is it is debauched. As they say. Sorry, did we cut you off there, uh, Scott? No, no, not at all. I'm good. All right. So that is everything I watched. We're going to take a short break. Which guys? Which, which one, you guys want to talk about the swimmer first? In case let's uh, do the Lancaster first. <laughs> yeah, in case we uh, run short on time. All right, we'll come back and talk about Frank Perez, the swimmer. And I'll try to figure out why you guys can't hear the music. All right, we'll be back right after this. Hey, this is Scott of Married with Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's. From The Big Sleep to Big Mama's House. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year? For that film? For that film. <laughs> but don't take my word for it. Just listen to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema has to say about our show. Well, it's a husband and wife show, and they discuss movies and stuff. Yeah, a very wife-husband show. High praise indeed. So come find us at marriedwithclickers.libson.com. It will save your life. Or maybe just help you kill an hour. I wish I was swimming. 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 I
trying to figure out why you guys can't hear those breaks. It just doesn't make any sense. I hear a little bit of sound coming in and out, but it's not really discernible what it is. I, wonder, I don't know if it's a connection issue. I don't know. I don't know. Bizarre. Bizarre. It's the first time I've had that problem in uh, ages. So I can't figure out what it is. It's really driving me bananas, though. Oh, well. Another time we will figure it out. Medical advice. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it's good to know that uh, even after all this time, like I told you, Scott, even after all this time, we still have issues with uh, <laughs> with uh, the recording. That's that's what you do when you do a Skype show. You uh, really are playing with the gods, to say the least. All right. And, uh, Scott, by the way, you're kind of fading in and out every now and then, so we'll have as much as you can. Try to stay close to the mic if you could. I don't know if you are or not, but uh, as much as you can. Yep. Okay. So my voice is coming and going too. <laughs> well, at least it's not your memory, or is it? Is that a bit better, like that, maybe? <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. All right. All right so the swimmer, uh, 1968. Large William and I had never seen this. He picked it. It was a Blu-ray release recently from Grindhouse Releasing. Great release. Definitely, I can tell you right now. Uh, definitely pick that up. A buy. Yeah, a buy. Uh, Run. Don't yeah. walk. <laughs> yeah. Swim. Yes, don't swim. <laughs> swim to get the swimmer. Swim, don't wade. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, Nettie Merrill has been away for most of the summer. He reappears at a friend's pool. As they talk, someone notices that there are pools spanning the entire valley. Um, I'm going to leave it at that because the uh, plot synopsis goes into a little bit more detail than we really need to give. This will be interesting to talk about because there is a... Uh, 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 quite a, I mean, a, it, it, it's been compared to an episode of uh, Twilight Zone, things like that. But there are some interesting things going uh, on in the film, and we don't like to spoil stuff on the show. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how we take it and stuff. But uh, we always defer to the guest unless he doesn't want to. What was that, Will? Sorry, two things. Uh, I don't know if there's any way to not talk about some reveals in this, though, without giving away some information. So, yeah, I mean, I, I maybe think, recommend, because I was thinking about that in my head, I think this might be one that people, unless they want to go in cold, they may want to. Yeah, they may want to. Skip the review. Yeah, because there's, there's there are certain things that happen that you kind of have to talk about. Yeah, so. there's no way really around it. And I think Scott had said he wanted us to lead. Am I correct in that, Scott? Uh, yeah, just... Sure. Brain's not working too well. My notes are a bit sparse. That's cool. <laughs> well, you did, can, you did cover it. We should say, you know, the Mary Clickers did cover this. I don't remember what episode number, but... Uh, 25? Oh, that, that's probably right. Yeah, I think we're yeah. at 25. Yeah, so early in their run. So definitely go back and uh, download that because I listened to that and I remember thinking, man, i got to check this movie out. I know I've heard about it, but I've never watched it. And, and I like their review of it quite a bit, so... Thank you, but we probably spoiled the hell out of it. So, well, no, you didn't do too bad of a job. You 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 did you went pool by pool and kind of yeah. broke it down. But I think you <laughs> left the back end a little bit uh, closed. Yeah, yeah, you did. You left the back end closed. I think you uh, you did. You, which is a good, <laughs> depending on, on what, yeah, depending on which room you're in. That's a good thing. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> anyway, whatever. Large way, uh, you, you picked it. You want to lead on it? I'll let you go. Go ahead. I'd love to. Sure. Um, I'd said this was my first, but it's actually my second Burt Lancaster film. And I, I want to say before I get into it, if those of you, uh, the listeners, don't listen to Mary with Clickers, run, don't walk, <laughs> swim, don't wade, 
That's right. And subscribe to their feed because I will say it in front of Scott. I will say it when Scott's not around. Truly one of the finest podcasts going. Yes. It's very much, as you've heard me say so eloquently, a husband and wife show. Yes, very wife-husband uh, show. Wife-husband show. And uh, I can't even get my own quote right. But they do a wonderful show that just it's, – it's so good. And really they cover everything. They're – you know, just we can't say enough good things about them. But um, – well, so go listen. Oh, truly our pleasure. Um, so, yeah, go subscribe to them. Listen to their review of this as well. So, yeah, Grindhouse Releasing put this out. It's an interesting release for them because they're certainly known to dip their toe in muckier waters yeah. than this usually. But they've done a fantastic job with this release. I know even Blu-ray.com said it has – they gave it a perfect score. Yeah. They said it's one of the finest Blu-rays ever released. Um yeah, fives across the board. and uh, Yeah, I was going to recommend, uh, I hadn't had a chance to talk to Scott, but I was going to tell him, if you're a fan of this film, this is a must-buy. No, I, so, I, I, I picked up the Blu-ray as well. I just haven't had a chance to get through all the extras. Nice, nice, nice. nice. Yeah, so, it's, uh, yeah, in this era of film, the early 60s, mid-60s, late 60s, the 60s in general lend themselves very well to Blu-ray. Right, they're very clean, clean film and bright, and and we should say that this. Um, my notes, I got too much on my desk right now. Cereal bowl, water bottle. Um, <laughs> this uh, source material is adapted from a, a short story that I think was published in published in the New Yorker originally. Scott, is that correct? Or that's right. Just yeah, nineteen sixty four in the New Yorker. Yeah, it's from John Cheever, celebrated American novelist who um, I, I can't say I'm overly familiar with his work um, as much as I sound like a caveman when I say that. I haven't read – I mean I was aware of him but not hadn't read much of his stuff. But after seeing this, I definitely will. But he's been called the Chekhov of the suburbs, which is enough to pique my interest certainly. Um, you have read a lot of his work, um, correct, Scott? Yeah, yeah. My dad uh, gave me a collection of Cheever's works I think when I started – University, which seemed a weird timing wise because I wasn't quite in my midlife crisis like I am now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Nice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's interesting to see when you get a film that's been adapted from a celebrated author because that can be a slippery slope. And I don't know if we've mentioned it yet, but it's directed by Frank Perry. Maybe we did. Frank Perry, it, for me, is a fascinating filmmaker. He directed a few of my favorites. Um, and very much a, a guy that works a lot with people that uh, are in extreme mental situations or have had mental breakdowns or their wiring is just a little bit different. Um, mm -hmm. Play It As It Lays is one I'm, I'm a big fan of. And even more than that, Rancho Deluxe. Right. So, you know, he made a few other things too that I, I meant to always see, like Ladybug, Ladybug, uh, and a few others. But um, he directed this, and then as we found it on the disc, when you watch the blue... Pollock directed a few scenes as well. So anyway, uh, this was a time when, um, you know who this reminds me of a fair bit is um, Douglas Sirk. Yeah. And what I mean by that is sort of the the restlessness and the cynicism uh, when you pull back the, the bright, cheery veneer of suburbia. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you see that very much early on with the film, right from really the get-go. And, and uh, it was a time when you started to look yeah, beyond that. Oh, uh, Frank Perry, a half-uncle of pop singer Katy Perry. I didn't know that. No way. Crazy. That is crazy. Um, so 
it's a film that even the opening of the film is very Cirquean with the this overhead stuff. Um, with with well, it's summertime, but it looks very much like autumn, and I think that's uh, evocative of where. Mr. Lancaster, Nettie, Ned Merrill, where he is in his life. He's in the autumn of his life. Yeah. Um, as this sort of, and it's always that thing where it takes place late summer, and late summer is very much uh, a bit melancholy. It's uh, it's a bittersweet time uh, of year because you're at the point when the summer's almost over, which is really optimal. It's the the prime time for the year when we do a lot of great stuff outdoors, and you know we're forging a lot of memories and. And everything's really ideal, right? Mm-hmm. Sunshine and weather, and um, so yeah, it's it's kind of getting out of that and into the the autumn, which yeah. uh, back when the sun wasn't bad for you. Yes, there wasn't precisely. any sunscreen. That's right. Kali <laughs> um, is the absolute perfect choice of words, Will. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it definitely is. And also, and, and also a time when men wore swim when it wore a suit as opposed to a. I mean, over the GGTMC, we still rock a abnormally small speedo. We still yeah. try to put two bowling balls into a marble bag over here, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you don't see those type of swim trunks really anymore. You, most of the time now, when you see a gentleman swimming, it's usually some big baggy shorts. If uh, I was twenty three, I would wear a bathing suit like Ned Merrill wears. If I was twenty three and I was Ned Merrill, I wouldn't wear anything. You'd be but, like, uh, was it the Wester Hazies? No, who was the couple that uh, decided to forego? One of my notes here is though there is a lot of Lancaster knuckle. There is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, there certainly is. So, so prints of this, and yeah, that stuff really does pop on blue. <laughs> it does. It really does. It Along does pop. His eyes, his one eye pops. Uh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really does pop. Though, I mean, there, there's some profile shots, and it's it's clear, <laughs> it's clear that uh, cold water doesn't bother Nettie there, boy. No, it definitely does not. It definitely doesn't. Zom will be happy to know that the Blu-ray stands up because he's a fan of. Uh, Mr. Lancaster, yeah, uh, good, good more Bert, ways than one. Do his Burt Lancaster impersonation. That's right. We should say uh, you said something about Frank Perry earlier and stuff. That uh, this is got this one film's got an interesting backstory because Perry and uh, Lancaster. Lancaster was not not notoriously difficult to work with, but he was difficult to work with, and that's one of the reasons why he worked with uh, some of his best work tends to be with certain directors. He uh, his his career. He, he had a really long and varied career, but. Some of his best performances and best films tend to either be the Frankenheimer stuff or – is it Frankenheimer or Frankheimer? Uh, Frankenheimer. Yeah. And, or whomever he would work with often because uh, he was just one of these actors, uh, similar to like a Tom Cruise you talked about. Maybe not as vain, obviously, but uh, where you know he knew what his audience was and he knew what he wanted to do. And so a director a lot of times had to work with him and, and really uh, kind of get things – I mean he's very opinionated, let's put it that way. But I feel like with this film, even not having the benefit of seeing a lot of Lancaster, well, no Lancaster more than one, I feel like um, even still, just with what I know of Lancaster, a lot of people have called this, including Lancaster himself, his best performance. And I feel like a film like this uh, at his age, uh, and if this film was going to work, he had to give very much a vulnerable performance. And, And not overtly so. This is something that, much like the film... Uh, it's like an onion sort of getting peeled back. Same with with, um, with the performance uh, and his turn as Ned Merrill in this. It's it to walk around in the bathing suit and kind of the, it's a very physical performance and it sounds obvious to say in a bathing suit, but but to see him break down as the film goes on, yeah, he's really, very, I think is a testament to he's Lancaster. Very, he's very exposed. He's very vulnerable in that suit. 
you know. Well, he is, and early on, he's he's tanned. He's got this. He's got a fantastic physique for a guy his age. I kept like thinking. Looks- I kept thinking he's walking everywhere barefooted. And I kept thinking, am I the only one that kept thinking walking through the woods barefooted is a tricky game? It sure is. <laughs> it sure is. There's pine. There's all sorts of yeah. Just. Yeah. And running, galloping like a horse in your bare feet. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're going to hit a rock in that grass. Yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, but yeah, early on in the film, it's like Ned Merrill is really the optimal man of his age. I mean, he's just the way some people can do this. They can work a room, and Ned Merrill seems like the kind of guy that can work a room. And um, between that and sort of the sunny optimism, at least early on in the film of the '60s, you really get a sense for the kind of life that Ned lives, and um, you know, a lot of boozing and uh, it just yeah, it, it's certainly. Uh, I'm kind of running myself into the ground here. The film sets itself up well for for the time period. I guess I'll just leave it at that. Um, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. Lancaster decided to do this. I really I, didn't. They have somebody else originally attached to this. Was it Newman or somebody? Something. I didn't think they talked about Newman, but I no, 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 no. I know on the route. Actually, this is bringing it back to Mary with Clickers. I think you guys asked who else could have been cast. I think Scott and someone brought up Newman, but I don't think he was old enough then. It's tricky because you need someone who's sort of in the second half of their lives, just over the hill, you know, just slightly over the hill, but can still walk around a bathing suit for two hours. Yeah. You know who would have been, you guys had asked someone who would have been too sleazy for the role, and as far as somewhat contemporaries, James Woods would have been too sleazy. Yeah. Char- Charlie Bronson would have been too sleazy. <laughs> <laughs> he comes with a different film. He comes walking out of the woods with his uh, Bronson knuckle, and uh, uh, yeah, yeah, there'd have been a lot more swinging in that neighborhood. Although, I, I, got, I got the hunch that there was, and they never really overtly say, but I got the hunch that there may have been some swinging. Uh, yeah, I think that is. I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, Scott, what are your thoughts on that? I feel like there's even some hints at some uh, well, I mean, there's affairs not- with, with both husband and wife, possibly. <laughs> yeah. Remember back in summer camp, Nettie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Frunks and go for swims. That's right. Yeah, he's guy for miles. Yeah, he jumped. Look how he jumps in the water. Oh, Nettie, he always jumped in like that, you know. But uh, you know, I got I got that vibe, and I kind of like that that suburban boredom. Uh, you know, everybody looking at everybody's pools. You know that there is a certain there's a certain vibe that Perry really kind of nails with the film, and uh, and Lancaster, I guess I should say too, since he was so heavily involved of that suburban. Uh, the uh, keep, yeah, that and the keeping up with the Joneses attitude of suburban oh, life, time. of you know everybody having a pool. I mean, to make the statement that everybody in the valley has a pool and he's going to swim home the river that he's going to swim home in and stuff. You know, you you go to certain neighborhoods and you know you see this, you see that everybody has a pool, and, or you, you can actually be in a neighborhood. I, I mean, I live in a neighborhood now where I had a pool. And um, I, it it fell apart, thankfully. Uh, for those of you who have never had a pool and uh, think that they're easy to maintain, uh, good luck to you and have a good time. Uh, I'm I'm one of these people who, will, if I if I have my druthers in life, I'll never have another pool. <laughs> but uh, who knows? Anyway, uh, the the uh, I've seen it in this neighborhood. I've seen people put up a pool. Not put in a pool because some you know they ain't ground pools. I don't live in that kind of neighborhood. So that's, that's a step up, but. Uh, the uh, they get a pool and then next next thing I know the neighbor gets a pool and then the guy across the street gets a pool and it's it's like everybody comes over and talks about the pool and then it's like everybody has to have the pool and I well, see it's the- a mark I think it's certainly a mark of of um, 
success. Oh yeah, right. The pool, what the pool represents, and it also represents very much this this cookie cutter um, assembly line idealized version of suburbia. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a certain marker that you have, just like in certain neighborhoods, everyone has interlock. Yeah. Um, because again, it, it becomes a thing of keeping up with the Joneses and, and keeping up appearances, right? Well, yeah, that one scene where he goes to that one house. I think Kim Hunter is the wife at that scene, and he goes to that house, and you know he's adjusting the guy's lawnmower, which is a newer lawnmower, uh, yeah. you know, which is another neighborhood thing. If you've ever been in a neighborhood, and you know people are trying to, show, I was at a party yesterday, and everybody was showing off their golf carts. Okay. Okay, that that's where I was yesterday. I was at a one. <laughs> yeah, everybody was comparing golf carts. I, and here where I'm at, a lot of people put four wheel drive tires on golf carts. Oh wow! Yeah, it's pretty special. But anyway, the uh, but that, that there you know you get a bunch of guys standing around drinking uh, cans of beer, smoking cigars, and looking at whatever equipment they have, and not exactly their knuckles. So. That's right, not the Lancaster knuckle. <laughs> you know, building these these homes with these pools. You're really getting more and more insular in your life. You're trying to yeah. bring anything you need into your own environment. Yep. If you remember, yep. one of the wives does say at some point, "Why don't we travel more?" And, and the husband, a husband, says, "We've got everything we need right here." Yeah, exactly. that's right. Absolutely, exactly. and it does. You're right. Everything is about this, this insular nature. Uh, and you kind of, as Bert goes through the film, you see there's a few different social classes and and and. Um, tax brackets that he goes through mm-hmm. and in the story because I, I actually had the pleasure of reading the story afterwards the sort of oh the indignity of having to you know play down a few levels uh, and go in the public pool and they really punctuate that a lot more man but, i tell you uh, what that was the most crowded public pool i think ever put on cinema <laughs> it is insane but but pools get like that man yeah i know you, i know I've, pools, yeah i've been to a few that's where you got to drop the baby ruth in there bro <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, I got to say, early on with this film, I didn't know where it was going. I, I, I had a few theories. You know, yeah. you're, I'm trying to play detective. What's happening here? What's what is off? Yeah. What is what's going to be the reveal here? Um, you know, one thing we didn't talk about uh, with this film was one of the taglines when it says, "When you talk about the swimmer, what is it? When you talk about the swimmer, will you talk about yourself?" Yeah, yeah. I think that that is spot on. I I think you can't help but be introspective, especially at the point we're at in our lives as family men, or really anyone. You know, when you see this, I think it forces you to be a bit introspective. But um, you know, I think it's it's uh, it's a fascinating tagline that sounds a bit like seventies psychobabble, you know, or late sixties psychobabble. But I think it's it's pretty spot on. Um, But I was curious which way this was going because that was the. The sell for me was, I think they'd said it was sort of like a sunny suburban episode of The Twilight Zone. Being a yeah. big fan of uh, the original Twilight Zone series, I thought, what, what's, what am I going to see here? What, what's going to happen? You know, and I was coming up with theories uh, as to what it was. And I still don't entirely know what I think, uh, what I'm comfortable sort of proclaiming as, as what happened. Because the end of the film is, uh, is up from, it certainly brings about much debate, which I guess we can do a little bit here at the yeah. back end. Yeah, we can talk about it a little bit. The, I, I like that everything, well, not everything, but there's moments of clarity and obviously something is off with, uh, with Nettie a little bit. And, and I like that, you know, the, the way they handled it by going to these different pools and stuff and these different parts of his past. Uh, I like the way Lancaster handles it in a kind of a confused 
uh, kind of delirious state at, at moments and stuff like that. I mean, I, re- I really did enjoy that. Those yeah, nice little and moments. It does, does become like an onion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Uh, although you find out like not everything is as it might appear at first with Ned. Mm-hmm. None of the details ever really get filled in. Yeah. No, they don't. Yeah. We can piece it together in our head based on assumptions we can make. But, yeah, you're right. It's never really given to us. Because yeah. early on I thought, you know, trying to come up with an angle here, you know, he wants to swim. He wants to keep moving. He wants to keep the rust off. He's latching onto the past, the movement, you know, all these things that I'm trying to look at the symbols and what everything's representing. And i got to say, Nettie, Nettie, for all the swimming and diving he does, he's more of a belly flopper than a diver. Yeah, well, I mean that's the most one of the most interesting things you learn if you look at the the uh, behind the scenes documentary of this film is that Burt Lancaster did not like swimming. He didn't like swimming. That's yeah. yeah he didn't I, like I only it. Got to see a little bit of the special features. Yeah, he didn't like uh, he didn't like swimming. He's one of these. He's like me. I do, I do not I do not enjoy being wet. Uh, I know that sounds perverted, but it's 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 true. I do not I do not enjoy. Uh, so first of all, I'm I'm fear I'm a hydrophobic. I guess I don't know what you would call it. I don't I don't like water. It freaks me out, and I'm just kind of uh, uncomfortable in water. I'll get in, but I don't love it. But uh, at the same time, I don't like being wet. I don't like getting my clothes soaking wet and then sitting around soaking wet, dripping. I'm just not a fan. So I'm I'm like Blancaster that way. Uh, so in in other words, Peter Weller in the bathtub a few weeks ago in his sweater did nothing for you. Uh, no. No, he didn't, unfortunately. But anyway, the uh, <laughs> the uh, the uh, I just saw a picture. Of my son yesterday at a birthday party. It's it's somebody else's birthday party, but my son felt like he needed to sit at the head of the table. <laughs> yeah. My son wastes no time, man. <laughs> he goes to a party, man. He shows up. He sits in the front of the table. He he sits at the very front where the gifts are being opened. He has to be right there, right in the middle of it. Uh, anyway, no, I I, I, I so. Lancaster actually I think I mean as a non-swimmer I think he pulls off the swimming quite other than the diving I think he pull, yeah he pulls off the swimming really quite well when you you think about it you think about a guy that didn't like swimming at all and he did this film I I think that's pretty impressive well it's a commitment right he made a commitment to the film right so yeah. it's kind of kind of hard to kind of hard to body double that you know mm, yeah um and I love a lot of this, this sort of suburban small talk. Again, it's fixated on items and objects and oh, yeah. filters 99.99.99% of the water. How we get that repeated from both husband and wife. Like they've been reading the brochures yeah, for yeah, things yeah. just to pass it, time. And same, The same stuff holds true today. But, you know, it does. Well, that's what I'm saying. This film is very, uh, very much in line with where we are even today. Yeah. Yeah, that's I totally why. agree. Yeah. Like I said, I, I I think that some of the uh, some of the moments where the the, the 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 talking between the characters. I mean, there's even that interesting moment where he kind of goes to the one party that it really feels more like a swingers party in a lot of ways with the big with the uh, the Dolph Sweet uh, greenhouse Dolph effect. Sweet, yeah, <laughs> coming back after yeah. the wanderers, man. Yeah, yeah, just a couple weeks removed, <laughs> Dolph Sweet's back on the show, um, and uh, the unrecognizable Joan Rivers. Oh man, tell me about it. <laughs> but there's that little moment too, and of course, you, as, as the film progresses, you find out a lot of stuff. Um, Nettie is not—he he was not exact. I mean, he's got this charm when you're watching him, and there's a a bit of a. Of course, it's a creepy scene now. I don't know if back in 1968, oh. 69, if there's if it was as creepy because I don't know if people thought that way as much. But the babysitter. Yeah, yeah. Now it's so heavily. 
you know, thought about, you know, children or people crushes and stuff like that. And, and I like that scene. I think it's kind of innocent in its weird way, but there's a bit of that, but you, you get a little bit throughout the, throughout the film and I don't want to give it all away, but I mean, you get some moments where you find out that Ned actually isn't, he, he wasn't always the nicest guy. He's yeah. made, he's made some mistakes some big mistakes in his life. Yeah, he, he certainly has. And that's, see, Ned, I don't know if I've probably asked you on this show before, uh, um, but Scott will know what I'm talking about. So I remember the clothing line, Coconut Joe? For sure. Okay, so it probably, probably never made it uh, down there, did it, Sammy? Uh, I don't recall. I never wore anything called Coconut Joe. <laughs> Coconut Joe was a clothing line that the the mascot, if you will, was like this safari, this explorer. He had on the hat and the mustache. I think he might have even had a monocle. But the tagline for Coconut <laughs> Joe was, a legend in his own mind. Yeah. And... To me, Ned Merrill is very much embodies that coconut Joe way. He is a legend in his own mind, and it comes back to that thing of the, the male identity and um, sort of the vanity of the male identity. Yeah, and what Ned is like. There's that moment when Ned shows up in, in this person's pool, and they go, "Who are you?" And he doesn't say, "Oh, I'm I'm this guy." You know, I live over here. He goes, "I'm Ned Merrill," as if that that certainly gives him a pass all through the town to do what he wants because everyone should know who Ned Merrill is. He's a man about town. He's, you know, he's the talk of the party. You know, he's Ned Merrill. So I really like that, that almost unassuming, like it, it's a birthright for him. Right. Yep. Um, so I quite like that. Well, I mean, I mean, you get the vibe that the like the Ned Merrill character was the, the life of the town. I mean, everybody loves him. Men and, uh, men and women both, they love him, yeah. right? It's, so he was like the life of the party everywhere he went, you know, and he's probably quite popular, you know, He's uh, and you really get that. I, I think one of the most bizarre choices of the film, and I don't know, I haven't read the short story, so I don't know, but is that, you know, you just kind of walk into this world. I mean, literally, you walk in with Ned, and you walk into this story, so you kind of got to piece everything together yourself Same. as well, which is a nice and pleasant, you know, I, I enjoy that because absolutely nowadays, if this film was made, there would be this whole psychological background. Too much of a setup. Yeah, too much setup. There'd be too much setup, too much explanation, too much, too much explaining, as uh, Ricky yeah. Ricardo would say. It's true. There'd be too much of that. I, I like that it's a little bit mysterious. I like that there's weird flashbacks involving horses and uh, and <laughs> <That's>, other things. <laughs> <laughs> I know Scott and Cat. I agree with their. Uh, thought on this thing. That's one of the only things that hasn't aged well is some of the cinematography during like the the horse racing. And when we say horse racing, we mean a barefoot <laughs> bathing suit clad Lancaster either racing a horse or making like a horse with the teenage babysitter. Or she maybe she says she's twenty in the book or something. I earned the in the film, but they're they're hopping over. Was that like an equestrian course or something? They're hopping over. Cuban steeplechase. <laughs> steeplechase, yeah. So they're they're getting into that, and they're smiling, and the sun's shining, and yeah, it's uh, interesting. To, this is one of the few things that hasn't aged, and it, it's fine. I mean, it, it serves its purpose, but it's it's a little bit uh, a little bit dated. Um, this I couldn't help but think of um, in some ways, uh, like it's Wonderful Life or Citizen Kane, even. Yeah, this was shades of those with this. Um, uh, you know, again, early on, I was still trying to wonder or piece together what was happening here. And it felt like Ned was really savoring every encounter, every exchange, every moment, uh, whether it was the weather or the exchanges he was having with people. But he seemed to be a man full of life. 
and someone that, that really had a lot of vitality and, and just was really hanging on to everything and not taking anything for granted. And in hindsight, having seen the film, that sort of takes on a different meaning, having seen how things play out. Yeah, yeah. Um, this ties into what you were saying about the, the the last days of summer as well, Will. Yes. It, as summer fades, and you know, it, it, melancholy was a great choice of words because you're always trying to just grasp it, have one more barbecue, one more dip into the pool. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just yeah. Trying to catch catch those dying days of summer. Well, yeah, Pete, you still see that. People still say that all the time. I mean, I see Facebook statuses every September, October. Last last barbecue of the season. Last uh, last dip of the season. Last trip to the. You know, whatever this season, you know, you still see that, you know. Yeah, it's true. But I think, you know, using the seasons as periods in a person's life, it does work quite well. And I can tell you now, you know, at the point I'm at in my life, I was very indifferent to the summer growing up. I had a lot of fun in the summer. Mm-hmm. When you're young and you have a lot of free time on your hands, though, year round, you can do what you want to do for the most part. But now having kids when they're they're free in the summer, I have been genuinely, genuinely sad that the summer's ended the past couple of years, mm-hmm. you know, because of the sunshine and you know just romping around and having fun. It's uh, it really has been you know melancholy times. So um, we get uh, there's someone. Oh, what's it? The the girl, the babysitter. That that it starts off innocently enough. I mean, there, there's as guys, you know, we can't help but think Ned's working a bit of an angle. Yeah. But you know, as guys. Um, he, you know, we, we realize this, but Ned takes the babysitter and she's going to go on the adventure with him because Ned, even in the, the book or the, the short story, he, um, he fancies himself an explorer, an adventurer, which I think he even proclaims himself to be at a few points in the, in the film. But he's talking to the girl and I guess one of the guys she dated was very GGTMC because he, uh, he drank champagne out of her slipper at one point. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, Ned asks her, have you ever had champagne? She goes, well, a boy drank champagne out of my slipper once. Yeah. So that's incredible. Yeah. Um, and she talk, yeah, just it's odd to hear someone talking about computer dating back then. Just uh, <laughs> very peculiar. Um, what else do we got here? I got so many notes. There's a, a scene with um, with Lemonade and a young boy. And this is this is why this film, I think you could watch it a dozen times and almost come away with a dozen different interpretations as to what, what everything, not what, what the, what the message is, but, but how it's being delivered. Um, I'll kind of reveal what my theory is at the end of the review, just so as not to spoil it for anyone. But, um, I think the, the scene with the young boy in the lemonade stand and, and the empty pool and what that accounts for, uh, really, really works well for me. I know, um, it's my favorite scene in the film. It really, yeah, it really works well for me, and it's a beautiful scene, and it's a tender scene, and again, it's very bittersweet uh, because we see Burt Lancaster's character, Ned Merrill, really lamenting now that he's had a chance to kind of take stock of his life. This, is, even though he's been the life of the party, it 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 affords us him this opportunity to really look back, and he he laments not being the captain of his soul. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that ties into that whole thing of the rat race again, right? Well, I like the, the acting of the kid there, too. I mean, it's a little over the top, but, you know, you sense the kid feels, you know, lonely. I mean, the kid is by himself. He's selling lemonade. His mom's not around. His dad's gone. That, that's, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, Ned feels for the kid, you know. And maybe the previous Ned wouldn't have felt for this child. 
wouldn't have had time to even yeah. wouldn't even have thought yeah. of that you know like yeah. at this age they're they're really kindred spirits yeah yes yeah. this in particular really goes to the next step of really creating your own reality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh absolutely it does which yeah it really ties into the whole film and i have to say having seen this now i, I wonder if uh, paolo sorrentino has seen this film because there's a really great tender scene between Sean Penn's character and a young boy that involves Sean Penn putting a swimming pool in a home for a boy. Um, and that is a film about self-discovery as well. So I'm curious to see if he'd seen this film. Um, but uh, yeah, and the boy, you know, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a really, really wonderful scene, certainly. Um, so we get to Dolph Sweet's party and of course, there's lots of groovy people and, and being a, a party with a bunch of uh, suits, inevitably someone goes in the pool. Oh, yeah. You know how that goes, man. If this you know is, how that goes. If this is the 80s, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that if it's the 80s, all the, the help goes in the pool <laughs> with the food. Yeah. But uh, because at times, yeah, this feels very much like an American Sorrentino film. I, I really, really – I would. And maybe find a way to reach out to him and ask if we've seen this song because it feels like he was influenced by some of it. Um, I, like I, the, love, I like the scene with the hot dog cart. I love the scene. Well, that's that again comes down to for me that because when you talk about the suburbs and you talk about the uh, the acquisition of uh, things. Uh, there, it's very much a cold transaction, but there's there's an emotional tie to him with the hot dog cart, and what that means. And again, it's it's him wistfully looking back, and it's uh, and that scene really leaves him vulnerable and, and naked. And I think that's one of the reasons him being in a bathing suit works so well because you get the duality of of him being vibrant and young and this bronze god in some ways, but then you also get him feeling very vulnerable and naked, especially at the end of that scene and. Um, I think there's talk even at the beginning of that scene talking about sort of the the social classes and whatnot where maybe it's a scene or one prior, but uh, I think Ned talks about this couple not even being on their Christmas card list. Was it that scene? That's really it's, – it's this party, Dolph Sweet's party, and that's definitely in the story where the, they wasn't even on his wife's Christmas card list. Yeah, precisely, precisely. Um, but it, it, the, yeah, that scene really works well. And, and then, we, and it's even further, we even further feel for Ned because he's kind of got this long walk home through the forest after this, when he's really starting to get broken down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's talk of, of that winter in Toronto with, with Ned and his mistress. <laughs> yeah. I thought about you guys. Yeah. With that, with that, I think they, they had a horse drawn, uh, a horse drawn carriage through the streets and. This is where everybody brings their mistresses. That's right, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I love Ned's. Uh, n- I love Ned's toast. Here's to sugar on the strawberries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that toast as well. Making something sweet even sweeter. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a lot. And the scene I know from what we I'd heard. I think you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Sidney Pollock was the one that directed the scene between uh, Ned and his mistress. Yeah, which is a great scene. It is. They they shot the scene originally another way, and evidently uh, Lancaster was upset because he thought the actress overshadowed him in the in the film. So they, they, you get a little bit of movie star background there. I mean, that's all movie stars. It's not just a new modern thing. <laughs> that's that's been going on since the beginning of time. I like version too, because she was very very strong. Yeah, she was. She was, and neither one of them. This is the kind of scene that 
in the wrong hands, either, well, as a director, it could have been played over the top and you would have started tuning them out, but it becomes very much um, a lot of daggers in the ribs uh, from her to him because, you know, he's he's really, it's a lover that's been scorned. He's really done wrong by her. And, yeah. and uh, you get that sense in the short story as well, even more so. But mm-hmm. I love his line that he says to her, again, really the realization of things are setting in because I think he's tuned a lot of stuff out and he says, nothing's turned out the way I thought they would. People seemed happier when I was a kid. And I, I, I love that line because I think that holds so true. Like when you think about holidays and things, um, when you're a child, everything seems so amazing because you don't see all the stuff going on behind bedroom doors and, oh, yeah. and when the kids go to bed. And I, I just, I really love that, that line from him when he laments about that. Yeah. Everything is simple when you're a child because you don't see the, the, uh, the, wound under the scars these healed scars and things like that you don't see that i mean you just don't and then when you get older you see how life really can be and stuff sometimes the faces people put on yeah yeah you see that i mean these faces people put on a long time ago i wrote a song called mask and i uh the song when i wrote the song uh, one of my and i don't toot my own horn very often but what you know i'd say you know you wear this you want people to see you as you perceive yourself but you don't you know, they never really see the real you. Nobody ever really does. So, you know, I mean, maybe your closest friends, maybe they they really want you know you you show them. <laughs> I'm looking at a Sammy and Will workout picture. The, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to go into there with that scene, but I did enjoy that scene quite a bit. And uh, this is uh, that's not the beginning of it, but this is where you really start to see the um, well. Well, yeah, not the beginning, but I mean, this is where the the break starts to happen. Really, starts punctuated. Yeah, I think. yeah. I mean, you know what really, this almost feels like Nettie's first real emotional outburst is in the scene. Yeah, when 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 it's not just chinks in his armor, but there's like a big yeah, really yeah. He he gets he's broken down a little bit now. Yeah, no, for sure. This almost feels like um, you you could do this relatively easily as like a stage production, or even like it feels a bit like Tennessee Williams to me. Yeah, I could I could see that a little bit. I mean, it's different. Certainly, a different. Uh, you know, it's East Coast. It's not sort of Southern, but it feels that way to me a little bit. Um, I just want to say when you're talking about the songs, I think in, in Bert's case, the appropriate song here might have been "Behind Blue Eyes." Yes, <laughs> but also, you know, when you're talking about his childlike approach, and and um, you know, children are so selfish. We have kids; they're very selfish by nature. Yeah, yeah. Eddie's a lot like that, and it's he is sense of when you leave a room, you assume you assume the whole world you've left just goes on pause until you come back. Yes. So what Ned doesn't realize is when he you know leaves his mistress, uh, she might just be moving on to the bellhop or whomever she's talking about. You know, yeah. and this to, all this stuff seems to dumbfound him that there's a, a world that exists without Ned Merrill. Right. Yeah, and you you really get that sense because it's a lot of comeuppance. So people that have been waiting a long time for. To be able to stick it to Ned Merrill because mm-hmm. we don't get the sense he's a bastard. Like you, said, I think that was perfect that you said he's very much like a child. He's impulsive. Ned, what Ned wants, Ned gets, and he moves on. And yeah, that, that's a really good way to put it. And she even says to him, you know, you could always get. I love the line. You could always get a cab in the rain and a woman in your bed. Yeah, yeah, it's a great line. That's going to uh, be on his tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing about that, I mean, Ned is clearly the best looking of the husbands. Oh yeah, it's not even close. <laughs> it's not even close. <laughs> um, but Ned really, after you know, a bit of a, a, a humiliating game of Frogger, 
Ned <laughs> Ned gets to the <laughs> the public pool, and this is where we really start to see um, the ho- the social horrors of it of someone of Ned's stature, and it's I think it's it's talked about more in the story than the film, but the indignity of having to beg for fifty cents to get in the public pool, yeah. yeah, and he's got to wash, he's got to have a shower, and then he has to wash his toes, and they inspect between his toes like they don't trust him, like he's a little child that. You know, did you wash behind your ears and did you do this? And Yeah, this is and, a person of power being taken to the very depths of, you know, I mean, being treated like a child. And, and you know, he, this is a person who's never, who's probably in the last 20 years of his life has not been treated, has always been the guy that runs the show. And now he's yeah. getting the show ran on him and, you know, he doesn't really know how to handle that. It's like everyone's lined up for this opportunity to take him down a peg from the grocers, the people that he's done wrong to like you said along the way sometimes maybe not even as i don't think there was any necessarily any malice but the selfish sense of you know it's gonna do what ned wants and um yeah it's uh it's it's really it's hard to watch because it's a fine line that lancaster walks because as much as he's a selfish asshole we really feel for him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in a lot of ways and it really is a tightrope walk and um that's the charisma of lancaster i think too though yeah Oh, absolutely. But this ask, really How do you like our water in that scene? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah that social that social commentary there. The too much chlorine and <laughs> he's just and again, sort of this indignity, he's trying to do this lap and he's getting bumped into and yeah. people are shouting around him and Well you get kids yeah. kids in a public pool. That's always a recipe for uh, a headache. <laughs> totally. But just I love the the this is a moral tale in some way. Well, you look at it so many ways, and that's the brilliance of the film, but the irreversibility. Is irreversibility a word, Scott? Yes, no. Okay. Yeah. How, yeah, let's just say it. It, we'll, we're going to run with it. We're going to swim with it. The irreversibility yeah. of human conduct. Uh, nice. Or no, that, that's actually something that I think Cheevers even had said. Uh, the irreversibility of human conduct was one of the big things he wanted to touch on with this. Yeah. How irreversible. It's interesting and when you think about. Let me this. kick over to you guys, uh, and also just sorry, the myth of narcissists is very much at play in this. Yeah, it's interesting the uh, the kind of dynamic of that. The the more successful you get, you get in these popular neighborhood stuff. The more successful you get and stuff, the further you kind of get away from your. You humanity. think, yeah, you get away from your humanity, but you think you're. You know, people think, and I, I'm I'm guilty of this too. You think, you know, the further you get away, the the more human you might seem you know you think like you got your you got your morals straightened out you got your life straightened out you got all this stuff but sometimes you lose track of what made you that person that got there anyway so it's very interesting to me and you assume everything will stay the course for the rest of your life you assume yeah. no change will come yeah that's a and that's of course a you know a silly assumption you know you i mean that's anybody that's ever had any tragedy in their life or anything you you, you realize very quickly that Assuming that life is going to be one way is a is a silly, silly thing to do. Any reversibility is a word. Nice. I win. What about Commander Rainbow? Is that a word? <laughs> <laughs> Did you see Fabian posted a VHS film called Commander Rainbow? I got to see that film. <laughs> I did. I did. Let me. Let's kick it over to you guys. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to go, Scott? I guess. I guess you do. Because go ahead. I, yeah. I I I just got a few other things, but you go ahead. All right. Uh, yeah, I'll just go over a couple things. Like I said, nice package on this and on. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know where I'm going. The cold water doesn't affect the Lancaster knuckle. That's one thing I got here. Uh, where did they shoot this film? Do you guys know where they shot it? I didn't look. 
think it was Connecticut. Yeah. Wow, yeah, because it takes place there, right? So. It's, it's a beautiful area, i got to say. It I is. really like the looking over the hills and looking down into the valley and stuff. I mean, it's really nice. It, it reminded me a lot of where I'm from, where I live. I mean, where I live, it looks a lot like that. Um, that's uh, I mean, not that neighborhood so much, but, I mean, there's a lot of uh, woods and looking down hills and stuff in uh, Kentucky. So... That uh, it definitely uh, no, it says they shot it in uh, Valley Oaks, California. So I was wrong. Yeah. Well, they, they, they shot some. They shot some of it in Connecticut, though. Okay, I thought so, I heard someone saying that you know they had a New York crew and everything. Like I that. bet, I bet they shot the majority of it in Connecticut, and I bet they shot the pickup stuff with Pollock. I bet they shot that in California. I bet that's what they did because you know that that would make sense cheap wise. But yeah, no, you're right because I, I did see the uh, documentary and they did say they shot it in. Uh, they had mostly a New York crew. Because some of the guys that worked on this ended up working on Shaft and a few other films that were interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I just you know the only thing I really got I like I like the scene between Lancaster and the ex babysitter. I like that. I like the admittance from her of the the shirt and things like that, and the oh, child yeah. the childhood crush and stuff. Again, this is a more innocent time. So I like that. I don't like on the cover. I don't like the one cover, especially the cover that's on IMDb. I don't like that cover because I think it doesn't sell the film correctly. It looks silly. It looks yeah. I like the cover on the Grindhouse release. Yeah, it's much better. Much much much, much better. better. Because the the other cover has him and the babysitter just kind of looking wantingly at each large other. Large heads. Yeah, and the pool in the background stuff, and it makes you think this is going to be a love story. Yep. Uh, it's not, it's it's a bad sell, right? But the one the other cover is much better with Lancaster front and center because this really is a character piece uh, as a film. So to kind of get, I'm, but I I really enjoyed the vibe. I mean, I like how the they sell the the pools and the importance of the pools to these people. Uh, I like how Ned's character, like Ned, constantly he's, he's asking these questions and stuff. Like he's so confused and he's. He's constantly asking these questions that you know he knows the answers to, but you know he doesn't he doesn't quite understand. So there's this boyish charm that some people see, and then there's this frustration that other people see with him, and and sometimes even hatred, I think, from other people. You know, like I said, he he it's really uncomfortable when you get to the public pool scene. I mean, he really you know they they really kind of come down on him hard. And one one of the you can see one of the gentlemen uh, doesn't want to come down that hard on him. You know? Yeah, well, yeah. The one man, he he almost asked just the wife. Like he tries to hold her back a little yeah. bit because she's driving him to push harder. Yeah, yeah. yeah none of us have ever been in that situation. Um, not well, I mean, not necessarily, but I mean, I'm talking about the wife driving us harder. Anyway, oh man, I hope my wife don't listen to this. Uh, <laughs> I was just teasing her yesterday about, you know, why don't, why don't you ask somebody else that question? Why do you always get to ask me that question? <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, frustration. Um, Need to get into a pool and swim away that mo- at that moment, um, but the I think that the the one thing that come that comes across the most for me with this film, uh, like I said, I never seen it before, and it really is a maybe not so much a hidden gem now, but it was especially back when Scott and them covered it. Um, is the is the performance of Lancaster? I know he won an Oscar for that was it Elmer Gentry. Yeah, yeah, that one, Elmer Gantry. Yeah, Gantry. Yeah, something Gantry, Gentry. I can't remember what, but but I, I'd seen that a long time ago. But I don't. I barely remember it really. And I've seen Lancaster in several things. I've liked him in. Uh, uh, but uh, this probably is my favorite Lancaster performance now uh, because I really enjoyed this character and spending time with this character, regardless of some of the dark tones it has. Ned Merrill is one of the more interesting cinematic characters. 
And, you know, this is 1968. This is the beginning of a different era in cinema. And it, it, then this feels like it. It feels a little bit like that that Cirque previous era, and it feels a little bit like that coming era of Midnight Cowboy. You know what I mean? So it feels it, it feels like it's right in between there. And yeah. that, that was really yeah, nice. nice. Bridges, it really bridges some of those gaps. So I think yeah. it's a, even from that point of view, it's a pretty important film. Yeah, and I think that's really what comes away from it the most. I'm glad Grindhouse Releasing put this out because I think it is an important film in cinema history because it does feel like it it, it, it is a nice bridge to those two different eras of cinema because the 70s are much different than the 60s. But that late 60s kind of heading toward that. I think Easy Rider was after this and and uh, you know a few other films that kind of changed the uh, the whole thing. The Last Picture Show, all these films and stuff. And But you can feel some of that coming with The Swimmer. So it's a very interesting piece. But, uh, yeah, Scott, if you just want to add a few more things, that's fun. Yeah, for sure. I should say it is great it's out in this uh, system. Um, I'm surprised like someone like Criterion hadn't picked it up. Oh, I know. It, it seems like it's, you know, I got children. I just got to tell them to go away. <laughs> they up? <laughs> Sounds like they are. We'll be really cramping on this Meet Him and Die review. Good thing we did this one first. <laughs> So I'm glad it's out. My old uh, video store, they have this thing called the Black Vault where they have out-of-print DVDs. We had to like rent it through those sort of shady ways. A um, couple things I just wanted to mention. There's a real animal vibe to Ned Merrill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From that opening sort of point of view shot in the woods with the deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He twists his ankle at one point and you just get the sense he's just this wounded animal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. totally. Totally. Across the road, that Frogger scene you're talking about, you know, he was nearly roadkill there. Yeah. There's everything so impulsive with him, much like it is with animals. But I think the ankle twist is great, too, because it shows Ned this um, pillar of youth and physicality breaking down and becoming this hobbled old man. Yeah. yeah so all of these sort of chinks in his armor are, are, are hits at his masculinity and his virility. You know, mm-hmm. every, little, every little hit he takes ages him quite a bit, I think. Yeah, oh, so it's, it's, his, it's his youth evaporating. That that animal instinct too. Uh, he's a very hands-on with everybody's wife. Yeah, she is. Which uh, you know, says you know whatever you want to say. But I mean, I I've never been that hands-on with my friends' wives. Oh, never. <laughs> he's uncomfortably hands-on, in my opinion. But it seems like the husbands are fine with it. That's why I kind of got that swinging vibe. It's yeah. Ned Merrill. Yeah, it's Ned Merrill. It's Ned. So. Nu- it's Ned Knuckle. You'd be proud. I slept with him. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that whole. You can look at it. There's so many ways to look at this. I've seen this a few times now, and this time that whole animal vibe. I was getting a lot more, and I like the subtlety of it. I, I was talking about how they don't put in many details in terms of what's happened to him in his life, but also the way they choose to note um, the time. He's really out of touch with what time of the year it is. Ever, even. Yeah, it's not about what year it is, but even the time of the year. The flowers he doesn't quite understand. Yeah, he's confused. He's talking about well, you know, that ash tree has lost its leaves. Mm-hmm. There's no heat in that sun. It's all very confusing to him. Yeah, it throws him off, and I think it really throws off the viewer a bit. So this is where you start to identify with him a bit because you're trying to piece together the puzzle in the same way uh, Ned is, and and yeah, Lancaster just sells this all completely. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to think this could be a very very different movie with other casting choices, and it might be a very dull movie. And you think of watching a guy swim in suburban pools for ninety minutes sounds not terribly interesting, but just going through this 
with Lancaster, and I think only Lancaster makes it fascinating. Yeah, no, it's a film that if you don't have the right person in the lead, it I don't think it would work. I think you got to have the right kind of actor, the charismatic, uh, big actor. I think you got to have somebody brave. like that. Sorry, it's a brave film, like very daring for its so ahead of its time technically. And yeah, this and is not something people would. Yeah, people wouldn't talk about this in '68. You know, I mean, coming out of the '50s where everything is a facade. Yeah, I mean, this is even yeah ahead of like Cirque. You know, he took a lot of the the conventions and uh, subversively kind of turned things on their ear. By you know putting them out, you sort of in a straight, technically beautiful presentation. But there's something going on beneath the surface. But this is just really out there for the time. Right. All right, uh, Scott. You got anything else? Are we ready to do make or breaks? Oh, I just didn't realize ordering Dijon mustard was such a. <laughs> <laughs> I love to listen to Scott say Dijon. <laughs> Scott can bring the French. He can. Is that Digon mustard? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that that Digin mustard, as we say down here. Can you give me some of that Digin. You guys got that Digin? <laughs> Shit, man! That's such a sign of being upper crusty. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. There was something else too. He orders alongside the Dijon that they really carved him for. What was it? He's not good enough for our Connecticut jam. <laughs> that's right. That's right. French jam. That's right. Yeah. My wife had to order the French jam. La jam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh about it for me i know we've got to get rolling. get swimming here. oh yeah we really gotta get swimming i got my son wakes up and i'm not in there when he go oh man i'm gonna hear never hear the end of it yeah okay make or break gosh um i'm going to go with the scene with the boy uh, as as a man and once being a boy it, it you know i'm a mark for stuff like that um do you guys ever sell do you guys ever sell lemonade uh, I might have a couple times, but I drank most of it in my kitchen before I got out the door. <laughs> there are kids across the street from my house who, every time the needle moves above zero, they seem to put out a limit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did it as a child, so I, just, I was curious. I think it's. A th- I, I wondered if it was still a thing because it seemed like a thing of the past. But I did it. Oh, as my a kids child. will. Yeah. yeah, my kids will. MVT. As much as I, I could go with Lancaster, because now I'm going to hunt down all Lancaster. Okay. Okay. I sound like Tarantino there. Ooh. Okay. Um, um, but my MVT, <laughs> I got to go with the source material because okay. without that source material, we don't get this film. Um, so yeah, my score for this film is uh, a nine out of 10. Nice. Uh, I think this is a fucking excellent, excellent, excellent film. Here's going to be a little bit of a spoiler. I'm not sure exactly how I interpret the material, but I, I want to say at this point in time, after one viewing, I feel like it is like a Japanese ghost story with, um, a madman aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. You could see that. I don't think Mad Men exist without this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, my make or break is also the scene with a small boy. Uh, sounds so stupid. <laughs> sounds awful saying it like that, but I do like the scene. Uh, really, uh, I mean that that's where things really start to connect for me. And uh, obviously, I could relate to it a little bit. Uh, my MVT is Lancaster. I think he is the standout of the thing. The source material is great. Uh, I like some of Perry's other films, so I couldn't really give it to him. There's actually a couple other films of his I like more. But uh, I did like Lancaster in this film quite a bit. And like I said, it is my favorite Lancaster performance now. I mean, and I've seen quite a few of his performances. I haven't seen them all. And I like his westerns and some of his other stuff. But this, I really like him in this one, the vulnerability and the the nativity? Nativity? I should never even attempt that word this early morning. Bichon Mostel? Yeah. 
But I'm going to give this also a 9 out of 10. I'm right there with you, Will. I think it's a 9 out of 10. I nice. think it's a lost uh, masterpiece that's uh, thankfully back out there. Cool. Have you seen Rancho Deluxe, Scott? Yeah, no, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, there's some, Diary of a Mad Housewife is yes. also a Frank Perry one that's quite good. Is that yeah. the, one that's the woman that Neil Young ended up marrying? Yeah. yeah. If I had to give a Frank Perry recommendation you guys may not have seen is uh, Ladybug, Ladybug. Definitely check it out, Ladybug, Ladybug. It's good. i got to see that, man. Hey, if I love a movie, can I still have a break? Yeah. Does that work? Which sure, because it knocks it down maybe a peg for you. Sure, why not? Something we haven't really talked about. Our pool, our rules. Yeah, our pool, our rules, man. Because I love this movie, but the one thing, if I could change anything, it's a break for me. It's the Marvin Hamlish score. It is a bit. Oh, it, I don't know. I kind of liked it. it. It is of its time. Yeah, yeah very much so. There are some moments when it's too overpowering for yeah. me. I like but the quiet theme. I don't like the overpowering theme. Yeah, the swelly kind of. <laughs> Where I really, it really kind of didn't work for me was in the finale, when I would have much preferred it just to be Ned. Yeah. It, and and the environmental sounds, the power, yeah. things like that. Yeah, it was far too sweeping there for me, and and really kind of took me out of it. And there's some silliness, like in the steeplechase. You know, there's some Olympic style music during the steeplechase season. I mean, that's <laughs> fine, but I, I, I'd like to see it with a slightly different score, or at least with a different sound mix to the score, maybe. Mm. Yeah, okay, I can see that. Nice. My MVT is the uh, is, is Burt Lancaster for sure. And I'll, I'll give it a, a 9.25. Cause the nice. More, the more I watch this movie, and maybe it's part of aging, you know, the older I get, the more it's hitting home. And just about the fragility of life. Oh, yeah. 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 And how, like, happiness can be so fleeting. Yeah. yeah. So every time I watch it, I think I'm, I'm really appreciating it more and more. Yeah. Not, yeah. not take it for granted, right? Like, uh, it seems like he's done. Also, I do want to say that I could also live on uh, hummus, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Caramelized onion hummus is very good too. My daughter like puts it on about three inches thick on everything. That's yeah, amazing. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a uh, short break and come back and talk about Meet Him and Die and uh, do it really quickly. So it's gonna, Ray. <laughs> this is going to be a fast review. May the fastest we've ever done because it is Easter Sunday. <laughs> All right. We'll be back after this. It's the Daily Grindhouse Podcast. I got your boy hanging. You no business born, insecure, junkyard mother. Starring Dr. Freaks. Am I the only one who is concerned about the naked woman tied to a bed? Johnny A-bomb. I put out the trash. Joe Cosby. Softcore picture? You just said softcore picture. And Warhawk Tanzania as Warhawk Tanzania. You do not come to my turf talking about busting ass. When it comes to cinema, we talk the cream of the crop while scraping the bottom of the barrel. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Facebook, and of course on DailyGrindhouse.com. The Daily Grindhouse Podcast. Because you deserve it. Standing alone, facing the day, feeling the cold wind blowing my way. Don't know much to say now. What's done is done. We're starting tomorrow. 
show because they does hit record when you said that Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, anyway okay so we're back <laughs> backside Ooh. my ned flapper getting loose yes. there um, anyway so uh yeah our next review is meet him and die a uh, euro crime film that neither will nor i had seen and i'm like i said i'm assuming scott had never seen either um we went ahead and got scott him scott may have lived like massimo Tolani, but he'd never seen him on screen <laughs> yeah we had a, we had some uh, serious moose knuckle this weekend. I mean, uh, I'm watching these films. I mean, Ray Lovelock wears some tight jeans in this bra. He does. <laughs> Giving Loaf a run for his money. Jesus. Ray Lovelock. We love you, Lovelock. Yeah, Lovelock. <laughs> um, but uh, Meet Him and Die, Franco Prosperi, that different Franco Prosperi, with a screenplay, a story from Claudio Fergasso. That charmer. That charmer, <laughs> yeah. But this stars uh, Ray Lovelock, uh, Martin Balsam, Melky Summer, and a few other uh, Italian uh, character actors that you might recognize from a few other things. Um, 1970 and 6, original title, Pronto ad Sederli. I don't know how to say that. Uccidere. 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 Pronto ad uccidere. Oh, yeah. I like spaghetti. Uh, <laughs> I'm terrible. I like SpaghettiOs. <laughs> yeah, ooh. I haven't had those in a while. Don't. I don't either. <laughs> That would be a sin if I ever gave those to my kids. I got I, would, I got sick on those I would, when I was a kid. Yeah, not happening. Mm. Botulism. Dented cans. Bad news. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, Meet Him and Die in 1976. Now, this disc is interesting. It's a Raro Video Blu-ray release. It's got an intro from our good friend, Mike Malloy, who's having a lot of fun uh, in the intro, I think. And uh, <laughs> I love Mike. He's hilarious in the intro. So definitely check that out. Um but I'll take the lead on this. We really got to be short on this one. And I apologize to our listeners and uh, stuff. But uh, all of us have uh, uh, Easter. Easter this morning, with uh, and all of us have children in, on the show. So between the uh, three of us, there is five children. So I've got two that are up. I've had to move into our back storage room that looks like it was designed by the CIA with hanging wires and concrete floor. <laughs> yeah. And I and I know mine is getting very close to getting up. Even though we put like Will and I were talking about how we tried to be strategic and get him to sleep later, a little bit later, yeah, hoping that he would, uh, you know, sleep later. But uh, you know, that's, it's impressive that Scott's kids, the oldest, and they're up the earliest. Man, <laughs> it is impressive. Seven on the nose every morning. Yeah. But uh, okay, so I'll I'll, I'll lead on this one and get it going, and I'll be uh, swift and sweet and tight, as uh, Will was talking about there when we came back from break. (laughs) I'm sweet and tight, Sammy. That's right. All right, uh, so uh, this one's got an interesting, nice little touch at the beginning, and it, 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 the touch is, I don't know if there's any other Eurocrime film I've ever seen that opens with a folk song. 
Yeah, was that Lovelock? Actually, I'm not even being facetious. I think that might have been Lovelock. I don't know because he was a kind of a folk star, right? I mean, he kind of yeah. musician slash. Uh, That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm expecting fuzzy D'Angelis brothers guitar, and we get <laughs> very folky. Yeah, you guys didn't hear the break, but that's what actually leads into this. Is that oh, song. nice? So I got it off of YouTube there. I can look it up to see who it was. It was pretty funny, and they milked it throughout. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They, they bring it up a couple times. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they even say in the credits who it's from. And I don't remember if Mike said it was uh, Lovelock or not. He said that Love. He did say something about Lovelock being in uh, the folk scene, but I don't know if he said it was actually Lovelock or not. But I'd be interested to find that out. So let's get into the transfer of the film on Blu-ray. And I don't know if Scott saw it on Blu-ray or not, but I know that no. uh, uh, we watched it on the Rare Blue, and it looks good, uh, but it does look a little rough around the edges. Like, it doesn't look as good as the uh, the DeLeo films we reviewed from Rare uh, although I think one of those looked kind of rough, too. I can't remember which one. We talked about that on the phone, actually, Will and I, but... Uh, there are some digital artifacts floating around, some kind of rough signs and, uh, you know, in the background stuff. I mean, it still looks really good. I mean, this is an era where we're getting Eurocrime films on Blu-ray, so very little complaints from me. Well, yeah, because most of these have never even seen disc. So yeah. for us to get physical media, and now, you know, would this hold up to, they say, the swimmer's restoration? Certainly not. But to get uh, Eurocrime films on Blue, which really becomes the equivalent of a little bit better than DVD, I'm fine with that. Raro, you know, is getting these... Because I'd never even heard of this Eurocrime film, and I consider that to be my favorite genre or subgenre. So, yep, yep. Uh, this one gets going pretty quick. Yeah, uh, it doesn't take long for it to get going, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say, you know, it, uh, Lovelock's character kind of gets uh, thrown in the uh, the clink, so to speak. Uh, it's all, you know, th- there's a reason for that. Maybe, I, maybe I won't give it away. But it's interesting because most Eurocrime films. Don't, in fact, I can't think of a single other Eurocrime film that, that uses the prison setting. Yeah. It's an, you would think crime as a genre, there would be some punishment to go along with the crime, but <laughs> it's always on the outside. We never see inside. Yeah. So I don't know if there was something about shooting at prisons in, in Italy, but you would think you would have seen a few more Eurocrime films take place um, in prisons. You never do. Doesn't it say Silencio on the wall in the prison? Yeah, Silencio. <laughs> Keep those mouths hush. <laughs> so I, I did like in the intro, Mike talked about how Martin Balsam in the film is always kind of like trying to avoid monologues by telling other characters to tell, to explain things to Ray Lovelock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he just showed up for the check, but he's like, yeah, you know, so-and-so will give you all the details. I'm going back right. here. <laughs> Balsam did some good work in the genre, though. His My favorite turn of his is Confessions of a Police Captain with yeah. Franco Nero, which I like a lot. He's good in the film. He is. Yeah. I have to ask, though, is that John Melius in the red tank top? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. <clears throat> Lovelock makes a interesting use of that guy. This is actually the first time I've ever really recognized, and I know this might sound crazy, but this is the first time I've really ever recognized that Ray Lovelock really has a weak nose. Mm. His nose is very... It's very it's a small nose. Yeah, it's diminutive. It's very small, and it's not real commanding. It's not... Well, obviously, it's not a merrily nose. It's like a Finnish bikini model. <laughs> Yeah. Or an anime girl. Yeah, yeah I never realized Red Love Like does have an anime girl nose, doesn't he? Eyes larger than the other two. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's a good looking guy. There, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with the way he looks or anything. But this is just the first time, and I think it was the sunglasses that kind of threw me off. Not that I've never seen him in sunglasses before, because I know I have, but there's a lot of profile shots in this one. I kind of thought, man, that nose looks strange. There's something off with his nose, but. He does. He works fine in the film. Actually, I like Ray Lovelock quite a bit in the film. He's great in the film. Yeah. Despite being a baby face, yeah. He can he can you know 
get out the sandpaper and grit himself up quite effectively. Yeah, he's good. I've seen him, he's not afraid to do sleaze. Like, uh, also for Prospera, he did um, Last House on the Beach, the Settima Madonna, which he plays like a fucking scumbag. In. Yeah, no, he's, he, he would he, – in this film, he really does some – you know, to get this point across, he does some pretty awful stuff. I mean, morally, if you really want to get down to it. I mean, this yeah. this film is a little – it's it's nasty in spots. I mean, it is. It, it's not overly gruesome, but I mean, I, I found it surprisingly nasty uh, mm-hmm. in spots. Uh, I, I think my first sighting of the J and B in here was around forty six minutes, but there may have been yep. a sighting before that. No, oh, that was uh, sounds about right. <laughs> but it's right there, you know, right there in your face. And it, yeah, if there's one thing our show can be proud of, it's the fact that everybody that watches anything from Italy is looking for the J and B. Runtime is a bar scene anywhere in the world. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there's a good car chase in the film, and of course, that yeah. Mike goes into a little bit in the intro, and and uh, that they they shot that was a two for one deal. I think they put that same car chase in another Lovelock film mm-hmm. called uh, Gangbuster or something like that, or I can't remember what the other film was called, but I haven't seen it either. But evidently, the same car chase is in that film. It's <laughs> a good one. But it is a good yeah, it's a good car chase. It's, there's some good action scenes in this film. I enjoyed the action scenes. I mean, they're not barn burners, but. Uh, and I love saying that today. Have I said barn burner a couple times today? Uh, wow, I don't know what's going on there. From Kentucky and saying barn burners. Yeah, <laughs> something wrong. But uh, I really enjoyed the the action beats. I like that the cars actually get beat up and they're still beat up. Like there's no inconsistency with the cars. They stay beat up. Whereas, you know. Also, this was the first film I really never paid attention. I didn't know Fiat made trucks, big box trucks. I didn't know that. Yeah. Now, that was new to me. I didn't know that. I always thought of Fiat, you know, you think about these small little cars but uh that was really surprising as well i think the film works pretty good i mean what is it about 90 minutes yeah it's it's a good length for for a pulpy you know italian crime film yeah i think some of the elky summer stuff is it's not bad but it's it's i don't know i don't know what he's i don't know what prosperity's going for there other than to add a female character to the yeah uh, she looks fine enough. Uh, she's starting to. Uh, she's. I don't want to say she's losing her luster, but uh, she's my second favorite Elky behind Elky the Stallion. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, we know who Elky. <laughs> if you don't know who Elky the Stallion is, you guys can Google search that. Be yeah. prepared; it's not safe for work. The yes. uh, she she is fine in the film, but I, I just feel like you know that could have been any character, yeah. and it would have been fine. But it does obviously add uh, you know an element of. Bray Lovelock's kind of charm to it and and uh, his uh, charm with the ladies. Because I, I, I'm pretty sure in Italy he was pretty popular with the ladies. Oh, yeah. Because you know, he does have those boyish kind of uh, David Cassidy good looks. Well, he was a double threat because he looks like an American, but he's Italian. Like his dad was British. He was yeah. a soldier. Yeah. Right? So um, he, he looks like a blonde-haired, blue-eyed American boy, but he's fluent in Italian and, and familiar with the culture and customs. Yeah. Uh, my last note... And I'm sorry I have to be so brief, but I, I did like the the flashback scene involving his mother. I really yeah. like the tone of that and the kind of weird kind of the, the way Italians do things in slow motion and stuff is always a bit different than the way Americans did things in slow motion. <laughs> yeah. uh, also, in American films, when we do things in slow motion, you don't see like in Italian films, you see like every like crevice and crack and and body fat move. <laughs> <laughs> but in American films, you know everybody's toned, so the, the, all you see is muscle moving in slow motion. But not in uh, not in Italian films. You see these guys who eat uh, cheese all the time and drink their wine and stuff running in slow motion. So you see a lot of jiggling. 
Um, but I, I like the soundtrack in that moment too. It's really kind of overblown and there's some zooms and some craziness and stuff. And you get to see what happens with his mother and stuff and the setup of the film, which leads to, a, I have to say, a bit of an odd ending. And that's all I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. The ending is odd. <laughs> uh, that's kind of like a, oh, well, feel to it. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It really does. Uh, the The best term I can use is, well, I don't think it's a giveaway to say it, but blue balls. It's kind of blue balls ending in a way. Yeah, I think he. I think he's so fucking stunned at what happens. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's just like uh, he didn't see that one coming. All right, but that's all my notes. I gotta take my headphones off and listen to see if I hear a little man. Scott, yeah, I, I can just add a few things. I think this movie could have been called Mama's Boy. <laughs> but, uh, I, I do like this the stuff early on in Rome. Uh, I, I love that every Rome has to. Everyone in Rome has to drive by the Colosseum. I don't know. If every road actually goes past the Colosseum, but I know. You know <laughs> initially, when uh, there is a, a robbery of sort, I don't know if you, the one you guys watched was dubbed, but the dubbing of the bystanders was hilarious. They were very critical of the police work going on in Rome. Then um, ours was subbed. Oh, okay. So I don't know if, the, if some of the dialogue was the same, but the dialogue with that with that uh, tough bunkmate in the prison was pretty. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> he won't give Lovelock a drink of the wine. He says, little boys pee as soon as they drink. Yeah, he did say that in the in the subversion. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I, did, I did like the car chases. I like the fact that they had Fiat's and Citroën's because Citroën's are just about my favorite Euro car. Nice. Yeah, they're a good nice. little car, man. Um, there's a scene that takes place at the soccer game, and they really got the most out of that footage. Yeah, so talk about getting value Uh I wonder if there was like a, a, a Roma Juventus match. I, I think that's who it was, but like they get a brawl that broke out of the game. Yeah, they're hoping down the fans. Yeah, they're hosing down the fans and everything. I thought to myself, <laughs> that, they didn't set that up. That must have just been an accident. Yeah. But they really do use that footage. Those weird barrier gates to keep one fan from the other group of fans. It's it's great. So uh, you know, when they move on to San Remo, closer to to Monte Carlo, I think things slow down a bit too much. There's a lot of sort of walk. Around, driving around stuff. Yeah, yeah. about the price of gas. <laughs> so that it kind of drags a bit there, and we definitely see the worst cop tale in the history of cinema. It's <laughs> not really laying low. There's some fun squib work here too, including one yeah. right up the back of a wig I dug. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That was a good squib. There's, there's <clears throat> locks on a on a motorcycle, and I gotta call him Lucky Lovelock. <laughs> manages to survive a couple of wipeouts on that thing. I think there has to be some kind of contractual obligation that Lovelock has to get on a motorcycle. Lovelock yeah. and Miranda both. Those two guys did. And I heard apparently that Lovelock hated motorcycles. Wow. But uh, he, he brings it. I mean, no helmet. Like, it's insane. Yeah. So, the, you know, that stuff all worked pretty well. At some point, I wondered why they just didn't pull over the truck and, and shoot him. But uh, yeah, yeah. I. I some of that motorcycle stuff, and uh, that's about it. I, I, I like Balsam a lot, too, here. He plays his role kind of a bit of a dandy, I want to say. Yeah. Like, but, he, but Balsam always has a hint of dandy in him. You know, in the Anderson Files? Yeah. The, the yes. Interior, and, right? He's, the like, Anderson tapes. The Anderson tapes, yeah. Uh, maybe a step removed from that, but just as he's sipping his espresso, he kind of has a bit of that vibe to him. But I, I do dig him. He's a good sort of grounding, uh, grounding presence. But that, that's I, for me. I love I love Martin Balsam. He's easily one of my favorite character actors. But yeah, because in Anderson tapes, he's got like an ascot and like <laughs> you know he's really really bringing it in that. Um, but yeah, so um, I'll run through a few things very quickly here. Um, 
Uh, br- 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 what do we got here? Um, a great line of "Yes, you stink, and your ass has a crack." Yeah, that's that's which is great. <laughs> I've never heard when someone's been crying that someone goes "Dry up, will ya?" <laughs> dry up. So Lovelock gets the unfortunate. Um, unfor- he he draws the short straw by having uh, Bluto as his bunk mate. Yeah, John Milius, man. Yeah, that's right. So he gets that, and then he's got Don Stroud in the yard egging him on, and they're playing kickball and very Italian. But it's it's too bad, like I said, we didn't see more prison films. I think I've maybe seen one other Eurocrime film with some prison stuff, and other than like the the occasional um, visit, at a, you know, which they just put up a plexiglass wall with the two phones. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, yeah, that match, when when Lovelock whips the guy's ass, it's really like Big John Stud versus Dean Malenko, like it's you know. <laughs> David and Goliath, but it works. I mean, he sells it. Um, there's some good, like you said, it's got some really good squ- Oh, I know what it was. Revolver has some prison stuff with the Ollie Reed Fabio Testi film. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's one other one, maybe I thought with Nero, maybe. But anyway, there's some good squib work, which is good because sometimes in Italian films, they, squ- they it's going to be hard to say, they scrimp on the squibs Whoa. and they'll just have the guy do the death dance with clearly no squibs. <laughs> but you know, that's the way it goes. The twirl, the death twirl. <clears throat> the death twirl, yeah. The Death Lambada. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, this, the, the prison cells in Italy are fascinating because yeah. we're used to seeing bars and these are just like doors that are shut. Very isolated. Um, why did I put silk? N- silk? What does it say? Silk? I don't, I'm moving past silk. I don't know what that says. Um, <laughs> the easiest jailbreak in the history of cinema takes place in this film. Oh, yeah. All of Brave Picklock. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and I always think that Lovelock looks a little bit like Miles. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, there's a few great Lovelock hero shots. That, that would be Miles Liplock. Miles Liplock, that's right. <laughs> and see, Lovelock predates the John Woo when he's got the two handguns in this. Yeah. I love so, it. Yeah, it's great. The killer from Taurus. Oh, I can't, actually can't say that, can I? The red herring, I should say. Yeah. Actually, I, I the red herring and torsos in this the the scummy sleazy flower salesman. Yep, yep, he's, he's in there. this. Uh, we got Tommy guns, good car chase, uh, good over the shoulder camera work mm-hmm. with like Love Lockbond when he's shooting. You know, really good stuff. They, they whoever shot the action did a really good job. Um, burr, 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 we get pool stuff. Elkie's a prime coogie. Um, the San Ramo stuff again, good production values. Not a lot of Eurocrime films are shot in San Ramo, so to see the the coastline and stuff, uh, it works really well. Um, there's some good slow mo stuff. It's reminiscent of Castellari's best slow mo stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's a spill. What did I put? Spill with truck. Insane. Oh, when he's uh, tangoing with that truck, it's like, man, that could have went terribly wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Terribly wrong. But, you know, it works quite well. Um, I really love the music at the end of the film. And actually, I kind of I like that realization. I like the, uh, the slow motion. And I, I think it's not a matter of blue balls. I think it's a matter of paying it forward. No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. I just think, I just think it's odd. I, you know, you're looking for a revenge film. You expect you're going to get some type of revenge. Uh, I like the way angle they took. I just thought it was odd. He was paying it forward, bruh. Yeah, like Haley Joe Osment. Yeah, that's right. He was. And those are all, all my notes. All right. Yeah, we said this gang would have been absolutely useless without Lovelock. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank God he came along when he did. <laughs> yeah, although I, I did like the one heavy, the one heavy with the missing tooth. I liked him. I actually wanted him to. <laughs> yeah. I wanted him to stick around longer because I thought he yeah. had a great look and stuff. He actually he he thought he was like sexy and he was not. 
I know, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I liked him, though, in the film. Um, uh, okay, so my make or break, I'm really going to go with the action scenes. I think the action scenes are pretty great in this. Um, there's some good acting as well. I mean, it's not like it's badly yeah. acted uh, Eurocrime film, but it, it's it's very well done. It's a good Eurocrime It's film. a good Eurocrime film. Yeah, that's, a, that's the best way we can kind of put it. I mean, it's not lower rung. It's not upper echelon, but it's, uh, listen to me using all those popular phrases. Yeah. But it is uh, good. I was looking to see if Ray Lovelock's still working, man. He's got a film coming out in Italy called Contra. Contra. Nice. Uh, 91 films now to Ray Lovelock's credit. He's 1950. He's getting up there. He probably looks good for his age, I'd imagine. I don't know. I'm going to Google search to uh, see what he looks like nowadays. Ray Lovelock now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully I don't get any nude photos. Uh, or maybe I should type Ray Lovelock nude. <laughs> We've seen him nude, haven't we? I don't know. Oh, he looks good for his age, yeah. Yeah. Was he in uh, To Be 20? Was he nude in that? Uh, he might have been. He was a hippie laying on the ground waiting to get laid by uh, um, Gloria Guida. <laughs> oh, yeah, he does look good now. Yeah, I remember what he looks like now. Yeah, he's aged well. Yeah. Oh, well, um, okay, so my MVT is Lovelock. I think he's great in the film, actually. I think it's a nice uh, Lovelock uh, vehicle. Uh, he, you know, he's he's been in quite a few Euro crimes in European films in general, and he was good in uh, Let's Sleep in Corpses Lie too. Yeah, and, and stuff. He's he's very, he can be a little uh, drab sometimes for me, but when he works, he really works. And I think he works really good in this one. Uh, he's yeah, definitely got that. Stoic. It's very much that Miranda type of Euro crime, steely role. determination. Yeah, he really reminds me of Miranda in many ways. Yeah, yeah, they're both pretty. You know, him and Miranda. It should have been him and Miranda instead of him and Mark Perel and live like a cop, die like a man. Yeah. I always forget it's Mark Perel. I always think it's somebody else. Yeah. Well, poor Mark Perel. Yeah. He never really went on. To, I mean, never really. He died young, too. Yeah. yeah. It's too bad. Uh, my score for the film, 7 out of 10. I nice. think it's a solid Eurocrime film uh, and worth a watch, for sure. All right. Uh, <laughs> Scott, that's you. Sure. Okay. Uh, my make or break's a make, and it's the uh, motorcycle stunt work, because I think the film, for me, had dragged a bit. Uh, in a section there, and this really brought me back into it. I thought it was pretty uh, exceptional stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, MBT is Lovelock as well. Uh, he really carries the film. You know, you're with him the whole time. He's pretty dynamic. And I'm, you know, I haven't seen as much Eurocrime as you guys have. Maybe only twelve, fifteen films. But for me, this is sort of average in terms of what I've seen. So I'm going to give it a six point five. Nice, nice, very nice. My make or break, uh, I'm going to go with the prison stuff. I liked seeing it because not enough crime films in Italy do have prison scenes. Um, so I thought that worked quite well. Just see the interiors of the prisons. Uh, MVT, yeah, I'm going to go with Ray Liplock, yo. He's bringing it. He's bringing the grit, uh, the sandpaper, uh, and he's believable in this. He's not just a pretty face. He can bring it when he needs to. Well, he looks My great score. in the film. I mean, I know he's a pretty face in a lot of ways, but I mean. He, he's not too pretty, though. He's not delicate. Yeah. He looks he's great in the film. He's just got the, you know, the jeans, uh, the nice open shirt. I mean, he just looks like a great he's zero got the, crown the Higgins, guy. the Higgins shirt and the loaf jeans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He's like a mixture of Higgins, Loaf, and Miles. Yeah. <laughs> like, where do you put wallet? That's, that's a good question. I think you it, don't. I, I, think, I think it was in the front. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, know, we know where he puts his, his coin purse. <laughs> Thanks for the setup, Scott. <laughs> put it on the platter. Yeah. Um, my score is a little bit higher than you guys. I'm, I'm such an easy mark for Eurocrime films. It's a 7.25. This isn't an earth beater, but... I think even someone who hadn't really seen the genre could see this and think it was a, a solid 70s kind of action crime film. Yeah, it's very you know, re- it's, it's not esoteric. Yeah, it's very rewatchable. I'll, I will yeah. be watching this one again. It's very breezy, yeah. very easy to watch, and very... 
I guess very accessible too. Like this would be your kind of film I would probably show to people to kind of give them an idea what the genre is all about. Absolutely. All right, that's everything. We're done before seven thirty. I got to roll. Um, Scott, we want to thank you so much for coming on. Yes, I'll, thank you for having me. It's been uh, fantastic. Even it's if it's fantastic, even yeah, like, <laughs> it's it's an open door policy with you, as you always know. So anytime you're willing to get up at five a.m., <laughs> you're welcome to be on the show. Um, but yeah, thanks so much, everybody. Check out Mary with Clickers. Like Will said, it is one of the best podcasts out there. It's one of my personal favorites. Absolutely. So definitely check it out. Thank you. Um. Yeah. Next week we are having Davey back on. Davey Alcox coming back on the show to uh, do some films with us. Uh, he's been away for a while. He's been busy and stuff, and he wanted to come back on, and we wanted to talk to Davey again. So I feel like we can call him Davey now because Tom Jane called him Davey. That's right. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't. Bother, he doesn't bother him. <laughs> we're, all, we're all buddies. That's right. Did, did you see that uh, John Cusack uh, Tom Jane like Hitman movie preview? Have you guys seen that trailer for that? Nope. I, no. I had no interest in it whatsoever, and then I realized Brian Trenchard Smith directed it. It's <laughs> like, oh, oh wow. that's, that's interesting. Um, anyway, uh, back on point. Uh, Davey's actually programming the show next week. We're doing Streets of Fire, Walter Hill Streets of Fire. Nice. And we're doing a film called Private Wars, which is on YouTube. I can't remember who directed that, but uh, that is what we are doing next week. And uh, I'm looking as well. That's you typing as well, Rick. Uh, Will, I called you Rick. Ooh, which is- John, the, the, the wonderfully named John Weedner. Oh, nice. Nice. One too many D's in there. Steve Railsback joint. Dan oh. Tulis Jr. If Steve, if Steve Railsback's in it, we know it's going to be subtly acted. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's going to be chewing, talking through gritted teeth. Weedner hasn't directed a whole lot of stuff, but he's edited some pretty GGTMC material. Ring of Fire 2, Blood and Steel. Out for Blood, Maximum Force, CIA. Blood, Steel, election. Fire. Those are always very, very GGTMC uh, title words. <laughs> yeah. He's got a film he edited called Fist of Iron. Fist, another one, yeah. yeah with Michael. You could change that Fist of Fire, Fist of Steel. Yeah. He's, done a lot of, of he's done a lot of Matthias Hughes and Marshall Teague films. Let's put it that way. He's, up our, he's in our wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll never set up one of those uh, GGTMC uh, movie name generator type things. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, with like justice, steel, fire, courage. Well, I mean, this guy, last. this guy's edited films. I mean, Quiet Fire, Ring of Fire, uh, <laughs> Ring of Fire, fire. Two, <laughs> Red Sun Rising, Private Wars, Maximum oh. Force, Deadly Bet. Oh, Deadly Bet's good, man. People should check out Deadly Bet. That's uh, you have Deadly Fire. That's a uh, Wincott. That's a Jeff Wincott film. Oh, nice. It's yeah. got Ray Boo Boom Bancini in it. Oh, nice. <laughs> and Art Camacho. All right, uh, so that's next week. Until then, Happy Easter, everybody. We love you all. I will say adios. 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 Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 